Hey y'all, Ali here. I edited this episode, and it's a very special episode. It's part three of our discussion of Deadly Premonition, and we did it with our guest, Whitney Chavis, who you will be introduced to formally, shortly. Um, because this is a special episode, we didn't do our usual format, so I decided to front load this episode with announcements. Uh, so, number one, as always, this episode is brought to you by you. You can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness to find out more. Uh, We also didn't do our Game Club segment like we normally do at the end, so I'm doing it right now. Uh, Next week is Clock Tower, the Super Famicom original from 1995. So, you know, fire up those emulators. Then after that, we're doing Kuon for the PS2, a game that's made of gold and diamonds because it costs a billion dollars. So yeah, that'll be fun. And the last bit that I want to bring up is that we actually recorded this a while ago. So it was before they announced Deadly Premonition 2 and Deadly Premonition Origins for the Switch. So anyway, I guess keep that in mind when we're talking about version differences and, you know, best ports of the game, etc., etc., etc. Anyway, yes, thank you again for listening and on with the show. Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? It's going great. We met a new friend on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're going back to Greenvale, but we're not going alone. Today, we are joined by the one and only Whitney Chavis. Hi. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, yeah. Whitney has a very, very impressive CV. <laughs> She is the creator of two very important websites. Uh, one of them is the Silent Hill Historical Society and Welcome to Greenvale, um, yes. which are basically your resource for info on either of those games. Uh, <laughs> you've probably already found them. Uh, yeah, I feel like if you've played Deadly Premonition in the past five, six years, that you've used that website, at least for a map. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You definitely need that map. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Whitney also holds the Guinness World Record for the largest collection of Silent Hill memorabilia. I believe that's it's correct. It's crazy. It, yes, yes. <laughs> go, go to her Instagram because it's updated almost daily. What's your handle on Instagram? Uh, it's at, at Kemi underscore Rowe. Yes, it's incredible. I think that's how I found out about you, maybe. I don't know. When I contacted you guys on Instagram? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we started following each other on Instagram, or I think, you know, we started talking on Reddit. One of those things. What? Yeah. I mean, yeah, probably. I'm on both. (laughs) But that Instagram is incredible. Like, that that Silent Hill collection is just awe-inspiring. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, definitely check that out. Also, another thing to check out is uh, the Whitney Plays YouTube channel which is sort of a combination of Let's Play and plot analysis of various, you know, survival horror and survival horror adjacent games, as well as charity live streams. 
very high quality, uh, just good stuff. Check that out. Oh, thank you. Usually when I think of like Let's Plays, I think of like, you know, some 17 year old like drinking monster and saying awful things. But Whitney's channel is just like Silent Hill ASMR and Deadly <laughs> Premonition ASMR. And the breakdowns of everything is just incredible. It's, it's if if you've got like time to invest in watching these, they're they're must watches. Yeah, I uh, I go in depth <laughs> on the games. It's like all the stuff that you, I don't know, I, I really like being immersed in games and looking at all the art on the walls and talk uh, all the optional dialogue and all that thing. And you really like try to hit every single thing in the game, which is really cool. Yes. And I, I don't think I actually did either. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a lot of game. So... Today, we're talking about Deadly Premonition. I mean, we could also talk about Silent Hill or a number of other things, but today we're talking about Deadly Premonition because after we did our own unruly, you know, attempt at a breakdown of <laughs> Deadly Premonition, which took, uh, you know, three hours of finished product and more of recording and a bunch of playing and trying to write up the events of the game and blah, 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 um, mm -hmm. we got an email from you. Whitney, that was pretty incredible because it was just like a rundown of like stuff we missed. <laughs> uh, and I loved it. And we started having a good back and forth. And it was like, oh, well, we should just do this for the show. Um, Absolutely. So I have to ask, I mean, your your involvement in Silent Hill and like your love of Silent Hill is well documented. But how did you get into doing, you know, work like this for Deadly Premonition? Oh, well, I uh, I. I got the game in 2010, so I, I was pretty much a fan from the get-go. Well, not exactly. I uh, I got the game right when it came out, and I was playing it, but then I got kind of frustrated with the controls and whatnot, and so I sort of just put it away. But then I saw Giant Bomb was doing their endurance run, so I was watching their endurance run, and I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I stopped playing this game. I need to go back to it. And um, <laughs> I basically 100%ed it in a weekend. And Holy crap. Jeez. I, <laughs> I was waiting, you know, like for a couple months. Like my site opened, I think, in August or September in uh, 2010. And I was just surprised that there wasn't really any other fan sites at the time. And I was mm. sort of like on a fan site making kicks. So I'm like, I'm going to make one for Deadly Premonition. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just still around. Yeah. Wow. So what made you shelf the game? Just the the crappy combat, or it it was mainly I was getting frustrated because I I was getting lost a lot because the map wouldn't zoom out. Yeah, and <laughs> that's what just, led me to your website. <laughs> it's just it's just I was just getting frustrated with the controls too. Um, mm. Probably wasn't helping that I was was playing on hard, um, oh, but yeah. I. I once I sat down and just, you know, got through it, uh, that hump, I guess, it just came naturally. And then I was like, why, eh, why did I stop? It's not that bad. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of get back into the gear of those that control scheme. I've, I find that happens a lot when I'm going back to play older games. Like, oh, shit, I got to figure out the controls again. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, we recently did a Fatal Frame for an upcoming episode. And uh, mm -hmm. God, just the first person controls in that game. Since my brain is hardwired to modern first-person controls, it was just like, I don't know, I felt like electroshock therapy trying to control the character. 
<laughs> well, and I think in that episode, it was hard because I've played the other games and I know they get better. So it was just frustrating. <laughs> I was like, why aren't you better? And I think there's a little bit of that in Deadly Premonition just because mm-hmm. it's not a very distinct control scheme. It's just like over the shoulder, you know, mm-hmm. like third person action. It's like an RE4. Yeah, like you've definitely yes. played it better. So it's kind of frustrating. It's like, why aren't you better? <laughs> <laughs> they did they did kind of I guess improve it with the director's cut, but there's still some weird stuff. Like they took away the 180 degree turn for some reason. Mm. Oh. And um in a couple areas of the game they decided to just remove the isometric camera view for some reason that was really helpful. For example, um when you're helping Lily in the stockroom. You used yeah. to have an above view of the stockroom, so when you're moving boxes, you know where they are. But now it's like, nope, we'll give you one second, and then you gotta remember where everything goes. Nice. Oh, weird. Yeah. Director's cut. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's really. I was actually, you know, I think there's a section on Welcome to Greenville that talks about changes in the director's cut, right? Uh, not not really. I just sometimes I mention it. Okay. Mm. Well, I was trying to find this stuff after playing the director's cut because I, I said in our episode I played the original version back in the day a couple times, and then I played the director's cut more recently, and I thought I was losing my mind because I was like, <laughs> "There's all these little weird things like that." It's like if you were living with someone that just kept moving like little personal objects of yours around, you just be yes. like, "Oh my god, why?" Like yeah. I, I, one of the little things I really didn't like that they changed. Um, I found that the driving was actually more wonky. Like they said they were fixing it, but it used to just drift to the left. But now like <laughs> if you if you put the direction just a little bit too hard one direction, your car just goes careening off the road. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so annoying. A lot of tight car flips. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny where it's like if you slow down, you flip your car. It's kind of like the opposite <laughs> of real life. It's very jarring. Yeah. Yeah. Like I used to love, you know, York's uh, car because his car has it takes no damage and it's it's the fastest in the game. Mm-hmm. But in the director's cut, it's like, do I want to keep careening off the road? I don't know. <laughs> oh, <crap>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. This, that was a big thing that I was like, am I losing my mind or is this driving actually worse? You know. But um, I, I don't know about you, but were you a little disappointed by how easy they made the game? Uh, in the director's cut, I was kind of disappointed they took away the difficulty modes. Hmm. Yeah. Because they're just so easy now. It was definitely kind of weird because I think this game has a lot of stuff in it that makes it very inaccessible, uh, which can be good or bad depending on how you look at it. So mm. I wouldn't begrudge them removing those things, but it was jarring because like, I remember the original game, I got stuck a lot you know, on boss mm-hmm. fights or on certain sections or whatever. And yeah, the director's cut, they definitely made it so you can kind of walk through it. I feel like the combat was just a hurdle for me to get out of the way to the next good part. You That's know? true. I really yeah. wanted the juicy story tidbits, you know, most of all. So I didn't really mind just blowing through the kind of mediocre combat. But I did. I did. I did appreciate them uh, toning down the quick time buttons you had to press, uh, <laughs> especially yeah. like yeah. in the in the case and fight where you had like four you had to press. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. No, but and the Thomas fight too. Yeah, it's definitely a big change. Like, it's immediately noticeable once you get towards, like, the second half of the game. And that was another thing that I thought I was losing my mind. I was like, am I just, like, elite gamer now? Or, like, did they make this? No, they made it easier, Ollie. You're terrible at video games. Like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, a lot of times I think, like, 
I don't know, horror games are so narrative-based that sometimes toning down to the difficulty doesn't really hurt that overarching narrative. Mm-hmm. And Deadly Premonition is not really supposed to, like, scare the hell out of you anyways. So I don't think a difficulty bump downwards really does it any injustice. Yeah, but, you know, I was kind of thinking about that with Fatal Frame. Because, like, that was, like, a frustrating experience. But then mm. towards the end of the game, I was actually kind of having the most fun while I was the most frustrated. And... <laughs> I was definitely sort of having that thought of like, you know, we said in that episode that like, it'd be cool if they just did a ROM hack that made it a little easier or something along those lines. But then I was thinking about, I was like, you know, I kind of like that. I, you know, had to tear my hair out a little bit. Yeah. And both of these games both have sort of that arcadey skill based thing, you know? Oh, when yeah. You're doing headshots with York. You're hearing little cha-chings, cha-chings. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that agent honor. Yeah, yeah dude, honor points. You don't want to dishonor <laughs> your agency. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of, you know, mechanics and nuts and bolts stuff in the game, the big thing that you pointed out to us, Whitney, was that we kind of missed a lot of the deep side quest stuff. Which a big reason was that we played the terrible PC port and you kind of can't, (laughs) unfortunately, you can't really like go through and do the side quests in depth like you would in a normal playthrough. Um, Well, you can, you can. Um, The PC port is very temperamental and your mileage will vary depending on your PC. Like I, I can play it well on my PC, but for some people it's just unplayable. So either your computer can run it or... It can't. Um, yeah. Personally, I tried to front load all the side missions and get a lot done in the first couple of days. You know, like the mm-hmm. Becky thing. But unfortunately, my save got corrupted. So once that happened, I was like yeah. really put off. And, one, yeah. one good thing I guess I could say about the PC port is you can make multiple saves. So when yeah. I was making my Let's Play, I, ha- I have like a ton of saves. Like before side missions, side missions completed, like during different chapters. And I really liked that because then I could always just go back to a certain scene in the game and be able to replay. But uh, it's it's very disheartening that after all this time, the PC game is still broken. You really have to work to get it to to play. Yeah, and it's a, it's a meta game within itself. Hmm. I mean, I work in software support, and like even for me, it was a definite motherfucker to get working properly. <laughs> I mean, each version has its thing. Like even the X, original Xbox 360 had you know little lag issues and whatnot. In mm. P, the PS3 version, I couldn't believe when I popped it in how laggy it was, and I was like, oh my god! <laughs> wow. But then, but then the PC version, it's like, yeah, 60 frames. Absolutely. Oh no, it's crashing again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that was that was was so disheartening to me cuz it was like when I played it through, I spent so much time just getting past choke points cuz it would mm-hmm. it would have like a, you know, crash like unskippable crash after like every major mission and like Oh, wow. Yeah. I think it's like every new Windows 10 update it got worse. And See, yeah. that's, that's what happened with me. I, I was at one point there was a features update and then yeah. I did the features update and next thing I know my controller stopped working. Mm-hmm. And my, as each new update was happening, I noticed I was having more and more difficulty with the cutscenes. And then I disabled DP fix and it ran like a dream. I don't nice. know what it is. Maybe Windows update fixed deadly permission. but it works really well for me now i mean there's still some times where it'll crash on me but i can get the game running for hours at a time now try the dp fix Mm -hmm. thing 
Yeah. Because I do want to revisit it eventually. Yeah. I think I'm going to buy a PS3 so we can have time crisis in my recording space. Uh, <laughs> so I'll probably just play Deadly Premonition on that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which is like the worst thing I've ever said, but I'm, I'm, I'm standing by it, man. Well, once you get some light guns, you can yeah. uh, you can emulate Silent Hill the arcade. Oh shit! <laughs> you know, uh, I still I still wish that was put out on a console. <laughs> I played a little bit of it. It's terrible, but yeah, I mean, why not, right? Like, so much crap has been put out on consoles. Why not Silent Hill the arcade? Do you guys have an Xbox One? Uh, Deadly Premonition is backwards compatible on it. I heard it, it actually. Yeah, it actually plays better. And that's the original version, not the director's cut, right? Correct. Ah. Yeah. You were asking about differences between um, the 360 and the director's cut. Did you guys also notice the weird color tone shift? Yes. It's super muted. In the original, um, outside was very, had like this uh, purple haze to it. And Mm. indoors were always really bright. But for the director's cut, it got switched. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a very washed out visual look. I wonder if that was purposeful. I think there's actually a mod for that on PC. It, it's out there. Yeah, somebody someone made it. Yeah. PC Gaming Wiki. Yeah, for sure. But so so the thing that was really interesting to me, at least like going back and forth with you, was we were talking about um, those side quests and how nuanced they are. Like mm-hmm. there was all these different things you were pointing on, like how dialogue changes based on weather or time and just like how deep you have to go. Um, yes. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how that all works in this game? Sure. Um, so I didn't actually realize this until a couple years ago. Um, someone posted on Tumblr this conversation that they had with Thomas where he was explaining uh, how he joined the sheriff department. And I'm like, where the hell is this? Because hmm. I've never seen this this uh, conversation. And then they said, oh, well, I talked to him in this chapter while it was raining. And I was like, wait a minute. The conversations change depending on the weather. Holy crap. <laughs> so that just opened up a whole <laughs> new avenue for me to go in and, and replay. And doing so, I've gotten a lot more insight on the characters. Like, there's mm. so much that's not revealed during the actual main missions. Right. And the thing is, when you're playing the game, you'll, you'll start like, for example, um, chapter chapter three. You're going to the hospital. It's raining. A lot of times people go straight to the hospital and then the chapter's over. But there's a lot of cool little things in that chapter to find if you make sure to talk to everybody before doing the the main mission. It's a bit difficult because there's no visual or audio cues to let you know that there's new stuff. So this is is Deadly Premonition's problem. they don't do a very good job explaining its mechanics. They kind of Mm. just expect people to figure it out on their own. And it really does scold you for being late, too, which is weird. It's it's hilarious because it's like (laughs) the time limits mean nothing in this game. And it really dissuades you from finding all that optional Mm -hmm. dialogue. You're like, like, wow, I don't want to piss off Emily. I better make sure to be there (laughs) on time, but... Well, yeah. I was saying in our episode, my first playthrough was with my sister, who we grew up playing video games together, but she really hadn't played any like modern video games. So it was like very like they're being like, don't be late. And she's like, OK, we'll go there. 
Like, go there right now. <laughs> it's like, okay. And I was like, oh, we're like four hours early. She's like, okay, smoke a cigarette. Like, we don't want to be late. And it was like, she really was like pressuring me and I just gave in. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's another thing. Um, so people didn't realize that time limits were just kind of a suggestion. I mean, you could just try again the next day with some exceptions. Like yeah. on chapters, you can't leave your car. You have to go on to the mission. Right. Um, but... I've noticed a lot of people also didn't realize that they could fast forward the the time with cigarettes. Mm. So a lot of people would just wait for the time to go by or take a bunch of naps. And it's like, no, the cigarettes, they can move time forward. Yeah. Well, that's a great user experience. And a lot of people didn't also, they didn't realize that there was a fast travel device. Yeah. yeah. Ollie didn't know that. Yeah. I actually told Ollie about it. And I was a newbie to Deadly Premonition. Yeah. yeah. Classic. Well, they hide it in a in a in a side mission. Side mission, and you can only complete it if it's raining. So you know, I did it early in my first playthrough, but when my save file got corrupted, I was using some other dude's save file, and it never rained again when I had free roam. It well, what chapter were you in? Uh, it's it's at the end of chapter three. It, it yeah, the save file is at the end of chapter three. Oh. Because there are some chapters where it will never rain because it's story-related. Um, mm. Maybe I just had bad luck, or I could have just waited around and smoked a cigarette or something. But yeah, yeah, if you sometimes you'll get to a point where it just won't rain, you'll sleep over and over, and sometimes it will take like five nights before the weather will finally shift. Oh wow! Um, mm-hmm. Which is which is where the Weather Channel thing comes in handy because mm. it will tell you what the weather will be throughout the day. So if you sleep and get up and then check the tv and see that it's not going to rain at a certain time then just go right back to sleep and keep sleeping until you get the weather update you want now that's a pro tip yeah <laughs> add sound effect the yeah more you know. <laughs> cha-ching the agent honor cha-ching just happened so here's a question uh do you think that that's kind of like a piece of like brilliant insanity in this game or is that just a design <laughs> flaw because like for me, with the smoking, when I played this game, I was like a chain smoker. So obviously, the fr- in real life, I mean. And so, like when I got cigs in the game, I was like, "Dude, hell yeah, I got cigs!" But then, like, there's people who are just like, "Well, why would why would my guy smoke?" You know, so like, I feel like there's something genius about that because it plays into the character, but or the player's character. But it's also kind of dumb. I don't know. What do you think? I, 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 for him to move time forward by smoking or just having smoking in the game. Just in general, all of these weird hidden well, things like that. You I've, know? I've noticed. I know. Well, smoking's like still really big in Japan, and I think yeah. they think it looks cool. Oh my god, it's um, big! It was crazy. But, <laughs> what I find kind of funny is that I heard that Metal Gear Solid Five did the same sort of mechanic where smoking would make time move forward. So mm. I kind of wondered if they took that from this game. Um. I think what was more weird than the smoking was the weird ass prices of things in Greenville. Oh, like, like fifteen dollar crackers. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't understand where that came from. Was there just a mistake with the decimal point? Because I'm sorry, cigarettes are not a hundred and twenty dollars. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are really good cigarettes. Oh, but did you guys notice that Zach doesn't smoke in the last cutscene? He starts to take out a, a a cigarette and then he's just like, no, and he puts it down. Wow. That's, that's like good. York, that's York's thing, apparently. That's good. It's a bad mm-hmm. habit. Huh. 
<laughs> yeah, I just like there's so many weird little things like that in this game that I I can never decide if I think that they were put in there purposefully just to be kind of weird or mess with the player or if they're just kind of bad. And I think mm. that's kind of the genius of this game or that's the draw of this game. <laughs> it just has all these insane elements, you know? Well, here's a question. The game lets you roam around post-game so you can finish up things. Yes. Can you finish any side quests with Zach and do they have different consequences if you had completed them with York? Yes. So I, I found this out when I was doing my, my Let's Play. Someone asked, or actually someone told me, hey, I noticed that my dialogue for when I completed the York car side mission mm. was different when I completed it with Zach. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay, so this means I have to play through again <laughs> and make sure not to do any of the side missions that are actually available during 20, uh, chapter 26. Yeah. So I did that, and I was super surprised at the change in the actual dialogue when it was Zach speaking. Mm. Um, he would actually react a little bit different than York. Like uh, Jeff Kramer, it, the cadence of his voice would change when he's playing Zach. Hmm. Very, he's softer, less brash, and sometimes he even kind of acts childish. Like I didn't expect her to get so mad at me, type you know tone. <laughs> Uh, it's it's really cool um, that they even thought to do that because I figured most people would probably do all the side quests before they finish the game. Right. Um, yeah. But they the developers made sure to put that in, and I think it's really cool that there's actually a difference. Absolutely. There's so much depth in the um, the side missions and optional stuff in the game. Yes. And I I really feel that like. If they had emphasized it more and put less emphasis on, like, you have to complete these missions now or you're going to be late and not do it, uh, uh, players would have had a richer experience upon the initial release. I, I definitely think so. But I, I do think that it's probably best to do all this optional stuff if you played through once. Mm. Because once you have the mystery solved... Um, you really notice things at, at how the game kind of hinted at all the big reveals during the mm. game in really neat little ways. Um, part of the reason why I love the game so much is because of the extreme detail the developers went into with their characters and the story and how you can, by investigating, like doing your own little investigation outside of the main mission stuff, you can notice things about the characters' behaviors that might be suspicious, like um, George and Thomas going into the secret room beneath the bar. Mm. Um, you can see them actually going down there, and then if you try to uh, talk to Carol about it, she's just like, he's on break. And it's like, well, George went with him. <laughs> Why is he down there? <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's little things like that. And I think, it, did you guys use the peeping mechanic that much during your playthrough? I, I mean, I tried it a couple times, and I saw on YouTube videos where you could, like, catch Thomas dancing by himself and things, mm -hmm. but I didn't really find a way to actively use it that was useful. Every time I looked through a window, nothing was going on. Yeah, that's that's enough. I, I think that's something a lot of players never really utilize, and right. I think it's one of the biggest investigation tools um, because the characters will act differently when they, th they think they're not being watched by York. And one such character is, is Carol. 
Mm. Um, throughout the game, she's very harsh and brash and, and gives York attitude mm-hmm. and doesn't even seem to mind that her friends just died. Like I never, when I first, <laughs> when I first played it, I was like, man, she's cold and callous and what the hell's wrong with her. Right. But when I was replaying it and I kind of figured out, uh, the character's schedules, like generally where they're going to be on most days. And when I know like, that character's going to be home, I'm going to go and I'm going to peep in to see if they do anything cool. Mm. Well, one time I peeped in on Carol. She was getting ready for the Galaxy of Terror to open. And she's getting ready, primping, and then all of a sudden she just starts crying. And I'm like, what? Oh, Interesting. Okay, was, was that a glitch? And then later she was home. And I was watching her through her apartment window, and she was moving around her apartment, playing the piano, chain smoking. But then she started doing weird things. She would sit on her couch and and bite on her thumbnail and kind of look around like she was super worried about something. Uh, she would play the piano, then all of a sudden just slam her hands down, hmm. uh, hold her head. Uh, she looked upset. And worried and paranoid. And I realized this was just after Becky's death. So she was, she was actually really freaking out about it, which you don't get if you don't, you know, stalk her. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy. Like the level of detail versus, you know, how likely you are to even find these details. Yeah. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but. The peeping mechanic isn't used in any main story arc, right? Nope. It's not. It's just like an optional thing. Mm-hmm. You just have to like walk by a window and see the prompt. Uh, there's. It's It's also pretty fun, though, too, that you can just kind of see the characters dated. Like, even if they're not related to the main story, you can just kind of see them hanging out and having fun. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really sweet to see the Ingram sitting down for family dinner or watch Emily work out or watch a t- TV show or yeah. whatnot. Yeah. See Dick Nick sketch or something. Yeah. Well, the slice of life simulation and the kind of like friendship simulator thing that, um, you know, Japanese games used a lot, especially JRPGs. It's really endearing here. And I think it ties in the like soap opera fun part of Twin Peaks to mm-hmm. you know the whole deadly premonition thing um i just wish it was used utilized a bit more in the story because i think things like that are a lot more interesting than you know the combat per se you know <laughs> definitely definitely um i think you guys did mention that it was sort of like a last minute addition to the game like sweary originally wanted no combat and you kind of see a little bit of, I think, what he originally wanted. Yeah. I think York was just supposed to hide and stuff. It really does make you feel like a detective, you know, like peeking and like talking to people on their own schedules. You catch them off guard. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like they could have pushed the more conversation-y, detective-y stuff that, you know, Japanese games are great at. I mean, It, seem, it seems like he's going to be doing that with uh, The Good Life. It looks like it's going to be more about talking with people and... yeah. What not more of a life sim, I guess. Yeah, it almost feels like the survival horror elements of Deadly Premonition are a little bit like forced because the combat's not great, mm-hmm. and the item scarcity isn't really a thing. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it seemed like it was more of a thing in the original. In the director's cut, it's almost extraneous. Even even in the original, you got tons of items. Yeah, like I had pickles to eat for days. So yeah, okay. Here's <laughs> cool. here's the question, Whitney. Am I crazy, mm-hmm. or did you have to? fill up on gas a lot more in the original version. 
Or was I just lost all the time driving around? I think you were just lost. <laughs> okay. It also depends on your car mm, as sure. well. I never had to get gas. Yeah. I mean, honestly, when I was playing, as soon as I got the radio, I was just mainly using that. Um, yeah. So that could be that too. Um, but no, I did not have to fill up all the time. <laughs> I think I was just driving around lost in like a shitty car, <laughs> which I mean, you know, there's its own charm, sort of real world charm. That default radio music. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to bring up uh, something that you mentioned, which I totally had the same thought, which was that it feels like with The Good Life, his next game, he's almost doing like a redo of that original like life sim idea. Because there's a mm-hmm. lot of similarities between that game and Deadly Premonition. And it kind of makes me wonder about a feeling I had while playing it, that which is that the scope of the game maybe like exceeded what they were actually able to do with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Swery has talked about this in interviews where he said originally his plan was it, the game to be set in a city, like an urban setting. Mm. But then they realized that that would be just way too difficult. Too many uh, players moving around, so they moved it to a small town. And even in the small town, they ended up having to downsize some stuff. Like he said he wanted York to be able to go to the movie theater, um, a, a couple other places that just didn't make it into the game. Uh, right. So his his scope was larger. Like he wanted a lot more characters that you could follow. and mm. yeah. So they just ran out of time. Well, it's more like I think they didn't know how to achieve it on the hardware. Mm, yeah. Well, and there's another thing, too, that you sent us, which is the official visual companion, which is yes. like Swery's notebook. And it's full of notes and sketches. And the thing that stood out to me from it, it's super cool. Uh the thing that stood out to me from it was that there's so much research and thought into things like demographics, class breakdown, like how the town would be structured based yeah. around those things, like certain things that seemed important to him about like American towns or like, you know, the metaphysics of the story, which we'll talk about later. A lot of this stuff is is in there, but it's not really in the game and so it's almost like when you talk about this game, you can talk about different elements of it and they all feel like different games. And it feels like maybe some of the most compelling stuff, like that metaphysics stuff and all this like interpersonal drama that you're able to drop in on from time to time. It feels like that's barely uh, implemented in the game, even though it's like in there. You have to go looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer to me just because like I'm I think I said it in an email I sent you like I'm not like a super completionisty type player. And if something's interesting, I'll follow the thread. But generally, I'm just kind of like I just want to play the game and have fun. And if it starts feeling like work, I stop doing it. So I think in this game, it's almost like I would have to really dedicate myself to it to find <laughs> all this stuff, which I do want to try and do at some point, especially if they put out like a better PC port or something. But like, (laughs) it's also just like kind of a bummer because it's like, man, this stuff is really cool and really interesting. And it's clear that like Swery and like the developers put a lot of planning into this game. Oh, yes. I don't. Did you read their postmortem in Game Developer Magazine? At one point, he said that that like for each of the characters, they made up these in-depth like profiles, like down to... When they had their first kiss, 
uh, to what they're what what they make at their job, (laughs) all these little details. But like the stuff that doesn't even really appear in the game, they still thought of it Mm. and use that as the basis for the characters' actions throughout the game, like where they go in town, who they associate with, all that good stuff. Like that much thought was put into it, which it just it's just amazing you don't see that that too often yeah that makes me wish for like something that would have had iterative sequels like uh the trails of cold steel games where there's like a bunch of them and and the characters grow up and some of them die and things happen in their lives through Mm -hmm. the series of games but but the engine stays the same so they can you know release one a year without having to completely overhaul it and I think nowadays, yeah. especially with the, you know, games as a service model where you can piecemeal out things, you know, it would be great to see, you know, like different seasons of Deadly Premonition, you know, that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be awesome. I'd yeah. be for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it definitely feels like a lot of that work still, like I said, still did make it into the game, but it's just in yeah. such a small way that you really have to go digging you for. You have to go searching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that's part of the reason why I'm just... I've been replaying it so much over the years because I want to find all this good content that I know is there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, the characters, yeah. you know, York and Zach and Emily are, like, just really endearing characters. So, I mean, like, it's like a great show that's canceled after one season. You want you want more, you know? Mm-hmm. You want to watch the deleted scenes. <laughs> I, I do think uh, Swery's approach to this game was is really interesting because he said he was going for three reels, like, real scale, real time, and uh, real life. Hmm. So uh, Greenville is like five miles big, so it's like spread out and stuff. So he wanted people to have to drive and converse and stuff because it's like real life in a small town. You have to drive a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, real time with the moving of, of, of the sun and the weather patterns day to day. And of course, real life figuring out how much people would make at their jobs and he did all this work <laughs> all this work and i don't think it's it's noticed which is a shame how many rockabilly snaps per hour <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you guys ever catch um i know you don't like keith did you ever catch L- lily yelling at him about playing his music yeah <laughs> he, he'll play the rockabilly in the uh in in the the milk barn and yeah. so she'll get pissed and tell him to turn it off. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> um, I do I do think it's interesting that I think the realism comes through sort of in the tone. And that's sort of what I was saying in the episode and what I'd emailed you a little bit about. That, like, I feel like the tone of this game is darker and grittier. And characters kind of have a different way of conversing with mm-hmm. York. And they just have a different interaction with him because he's, like, a federal agent and all this kind of stuff. That... And he, yeah, and he wears cologne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there, I think that realism does come through in the game. I think yeah. it's just more of like, there's, it just should have come through more in character details and be able to do that. But that's kind of what happens when combat or some sort of combat adjacent thing is like shoehorned into a game. There's so many horror games like that. They really captured like the American reality of the commute. It's a lot of soul sucking driving. Yes, I, I, I hear you with that. My commute is always over an hour. Yeah. Um, did you guys know that the, the conversations between him and Zach in the car are actual, like, real conversations, Swery and uh, his co-writer? Yes. Uh, Kenji Goda. 
would have with each other. Yeah. Like that would be their typical like discussions about movies would be that sort of stuff. Well, and that that was really cool and endearing to me because that's the kind of conversations I like to have with my friends, you know. I think it's part of the reason why um York became one of my favorite protagonists because I felt I really got to know him thanks to him talking to me. Well, I thought he was talking to me, but right, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, I think that, totally. yeah, that's a, like it's a subtle like psychological thing that the game does to you, because mm-hmm. you know Zach is always talking to a person that's not there, so it's sort of like your brain we were rewiring it says Zach's just talking to you all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. Am so. I Zach? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things about like the weird the weird stuff in the game when you're trying to figure out what's real and what's not. I think that's probably the best element that's like that. Because, like I said, it's something that's slightly in Twin Peaks where you're like, is Diane real? Is Cooper crazy? But then in this game, it's like way more extreme because you're like, is he talking to me? Like the real me? Me? (laughs) Especially like if you've played like a Hideo Kojima game and you know that like dumb stuff like that happens where he's like, I'm talking Mm -hmm. to you. And you're like, okay, Hideo. (laughs) Like it's sort of like you don't know if that's going on. And I I really like that in this game. That's one of my favorite elements of it. Yeah. So, Whitney, were you a Twin Peaks first person or a Deadly Premonition first person? I was Deadly Premonition first. It's what got me to watch Twin Peaks. Oh, really? Because everyone kept uh, comparing it to the game. And I was like, oh, I got to see this show. I really like the game. (laughs) (laughs) One of the most shocking things that I learned from your site was that um, Sweary says that it's not a direct influence. Mm. Yes, he he says Brazil, the movie Brazil was. Okay. (laughs) Protests too much. Yeah, that's sort of baffling. Uh What did you, what was it like for you? Because I was talking about this with Silent Hill, that I was like, if you hadn't seen Jacob's Ladder and you watched it after playing like all the original Silent Hill games, your mind would be like blown because you're like, wow, they took a lot. (laughs) Did you feel that way about Twin Peaks or did you have like a different reaction to it? Uh, no, I was just like, oh, I like this. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't go. I mean, I, I did see the similarities. I was like, wow, why does he deny? Cause you could, you could really see what, what he lifted from yeah. this show. Um, but, oh, did you find Laura Palmer in the game? Oh, totally. No. Yeah. What? Yeah. In Becky's room, right? <laughs> no, no. It's Anna's. Anna's room. Anna's room. Of course. Yeah. There's a photo of Laura, Laura Palmer's, uh, prom photo. Oh, like yeah. the on the photo. wall. Yeah. On that side mission to where you go find Anna's dress in her closet and give it to her mom. And I think there's a there's a picture of the of the falls somewhere else too. Oh yeah. Snoqualmie Falls. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Man. So come on, Sweary. <laughs> yeah, come <laughs> on, dude. Just fess up. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a good segue into maybe talking about a little bit more like plot character type mm-hmm. stuff. Because, sure. you know, I think one of the, the crux of your first email that you sent us was like, like, there's a lot of character information that is very deeply hidden in the game. Mm-hmm. Some of it in side quests, but then some of it 
like we discussed earlier, in side quests based on conversations that are dictated by the weather <laughs> or time yes. of day, which is yes. just so wild. Um, you get you get a lot of good information when it's raining. Yeah. I found. <laughs> um, so one thing that we talked about in our episode, I was kind of talking about the whole tone of the game being very strange and characters feeling kind of distant or hostile and you were sort of offering a different perspective as someone who has like found all this info about these characters and there's <laughs> usually a pretty good explanation for why they are the way they are and there's also some you know good info about some of the lore stuff that even like some of our listeners were you know commenting on on like social media and like bringing up to me where like I think people don't really tell self included it's like what's going on with the sex cult like Mm-hmm. What is the deal here? Um, sure. But I just thought it might be cool to go through some of these characters. So Becky is like the first one. And I think one of the most obvious ones where she really feels like a cipher in the game where it's like, this character seems really distant. I don't really get it. Like, obviously we have mm-hmm. Anna, who's like our Laura Palmer proxy. And like, Laura Palmer is supposed to So feel... beautiful. Right. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, she's an angel. She's this like distant. She's an airhead. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, like she's supposed to be this distant figure that you can't understand. But then Becky, kind of like we said in our episode, Becky's more like Donna. And it's like weird that they kill Donna or the Donna proxy. And yeah, run. people people can go through this game and like, never meet Becky before her death. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, he, he uh, York does get that little dream sequence where it's like, um, th- that changes as well. So if you don't meet Becky, uh, she'll, she'll go, my name is Becky. And he'll be like, who are you? Honest friend or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But if you've met with her before, his dialogue with her will change. He'll, he's familiar with her by then. So he'll say something different. Um, so yeah, people can go through the game not even knowing who the fuck Becky was. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and then she dies. <laughs> the Becky side mission is one of the most important ones in the game, and they probably should have just mm-hmm. made it a main part of the story. Yeah, I'm actually really surprised that they didn't, considering that it does connect to the Red Seeds. Yeah, um, and it involves Quint because, like, really, you don't get much more narrative from Quint at all. So, I guess in case people haven't done this side mission, what happens is. After you find the dress, Anna's dress for Sally, and you go into Anna's room, you find her diary, and she says some stuff like she's worried about Becky, and mm-hmm. uh, and then Delivery Man Q won't be able to protect her. Right. So that leads you to f- try to find out who Delivery Man Q was, and process of elimination, you're like, oh, it's Quint. So we go try yeah. talking to Quint. He kind of shuts you down. Uh, you you look in his motorcycle and you find mm-hmm. this baggie of red powder and he's like, oh no, it's a it's a it's health food. It's health food, yeah. <laughs> Just in case I get hungry on the road. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And York, uh, he takes it. He actually takes the powder to Becky to get her to talk to him. Yeah, and she's like, Quint has nothing to do with this, you know. Um, uh, this is my fault and she gives him her engagement ring to give back to Quint because she doesn't want to accept it anymore because mm-hmm. he bought that ring with the money he made selling the red powder. So I want to go back to Anna's diary. Um, this is something I didn't really kind of didn't click until somewhat recently but Anna says she's worried about Becky and you're like well what is she worried about? 
I, I, my theory is that Becky was selling drugs behind George's back. Because hmm. Anna's like, he doesn't let anything slip. I'm worried about Becky. Delivery man Q can't protect her. So I think she was doing this whole giving the Red Sea stuff to Quint to make drugs to sell out of town. And George found out and wasn't too pleased. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And man, it's so crazy that you can miss that. Because that has some really interesting parallel to Silent Hill 1, too, with the whole drug subplot. Yes, that one, a lot of people missed the uh, side plot with Kaufman. Yeah. Which is a shame because it explains a lot of what he's doing there. <laughs> totally. Well, yeah. it does, but also in, in Silent Hill, I think if you miss it, the plot changes. Like the ending changes, or at least... Oh, yeah. If, if you don't save him, um, you'll get the, the bad endings. Right. In this mm-hmm. game, it's kind of nuts, because that's basically the whole focus of like episodes two and three of the first season of Sin- uh, Twin Peaks, which is only yeah. like eight episodes. So like in this game, it's like it has the same weight to the plot, but you can just breeze right by it. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I do love that yeah. they both, I guess both uh, developers or writers love that scene where Cooper like pulls that baggie of cocaine out of motorcycle tank, which like, <laughs> yeah, they use it in both games. <laughs> but the thing too, is that I also yeah. love it and I can't explain why there's something really satisfying. He like puts on a glove and like reaches in and grabs baggy cocaine. It's like, oh man, looks really good. Well, <laughs> every time Cooper pulls some like psychic Sherlock Holmes shit, you have to love it. You know? Yeah. Le- leaves an impression. Um, that's why, that's, that's why the whole Dougie Jones thing is so fucking frustrating in <laughs> Twin Peaks The Returns because Cooper was so on point all the time, all the time you know? Yeah, among other things, but let's <laughs> not get into that now. <laughs> How did you feel about Twin Peaks The Return, Whitney? I, I hated it. Mm. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, all of it? I was so bored. Wow. Mm. Watching it, yeah. Are you are you a Lynch fan in general, or are you just interested in Twin Peaks because the Deadly Premonition link? I wasn't really a, f- a fan of his. I just really watched the Twin Peaks, and I, I learned from my friends who loved, loved season three that this is more of his style with his films and stuff. I just, uh, I know it's supposed to be like a, a moving painting <laughs> or whatever, but I was just bored. Like, ten minutes of watching a, a bomb explode it's just not my thing or watching somebody sweep mm-hmm. for five minutes straight. oh i totally get that <laughs> yeah. like, oh, is something gonna happen in this episode <laughs> the other thing too is that like he had been developing that super extreme long form style like in his mm-hmm. later movies and his last yeah. movie he made was Inland Empire which like nobody watched but of course me I've seen <laughs> it like five times and I have it on DVD like an idiot and like it was just funny because I was warning people before it came back I'm like hey just so you guys know it's not gonna be like the old Twin Peaks it's gonna be like what you just described which is like yeah I would say it goes past not for everyone and into maybe not for anyone. (laughs) (laughs) And I like it. I'm speaking as someone who likes it. So whenever I hear someone say they don't like it, I'm like, dude, I I get you. I like it, but there's something wrong with me. I had my my finger on the fast forward button to see when it will get to actual content. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that from a lot of people, though. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah, you're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> yeah, Mulholland Drive's worth watching, though. 
Oh yeah, totally. If you For like sure. that kind of like Twin Peaks, maybe even Deadly Premonition vibe, Mulholland Drive is the jam. That's a great movie. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, I, I want to watch um, Blue Velvet Blue because Velvet. Uh, the connection to Silent Hill Two. I've never seen the yeah. movie. But yeah. apparently, uh, Silent Hill 2 lifts a couple things from that movie. Yeah, the Pyramid Head scene where uh, mm-hmm. James is in the closet watching Pyramid Head, like, bang demons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's Blue Velvet as fuck. That's Blue Velvet as fuck. Yeah. Yeah, I actually would say that Delhi Premonition and Silent Hill both have a lot of Blue Velvet influence. I mean, Blue Velvet's crazy to watch nowadays because you realize that it was actually a really, really influential movie. And plus, it's not 18 hours long like fucking Twin Peaks 3, so... <laughs> Well, even like Eraserhead is his first big movie and it's like, it's influential and important, blah, blah, blah too, but it's like really, really weird and off-putting and you go watch Blue Velvet and Blue Velvet is also weird and off-putting, but in like a cool digestible way and you can kind of see why so many people lifted things from it. It's a great film. I feel like Eraserhead is more stylistically um, influenced. Yeah. I mean, uh, influential. Like uh, the baby in Silent Hills. The yeah. baby in the sink. Yeah, things mm-hmm. like that. That's totally straight out of Eraserhead. Well, and there's a bunch of Japanese movies. It kind of started like a whole Japanese subgenre of like Eraserhead-like movies. Like Tetsuo mm. and 20,000 Volts Electric Dragon and Pinocchio. There's a bu- I don't know. Sorry. Don't get me started on J-horror <laughs> movies, James. You're not allowed to do that. Come on. Um, <laughs> I'll DM you later. <laughs> later, James. <laughs> later. We're in front of company. Come on, dude. Uh, so, okay. Speaking about Becky, there were mm-hmm. a couple of other interesting tidbits that you point out to us that are also kind of like deep finds. Um, mostly about like her scenario. Like, where are her parents? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, like... When I first played, I just assumed her parents were dead because right. they weren't around. And even Diane kind of sounded wistful when she was talking about her dad in her in her side mission. Mm. Uh, so I was very surprised when Quint told me when he, he had a conversation with York um, after Diane's death. And he's like, who's going to handle the funerals? Becky, their parents are out of the country. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> They're still alive. But yeah, apparently she... Her parents are just doing something else. Um, it's it's little things like that, and it's only said the one time. Mm. If you talk to him in chapter thirteen, so the problem where it Dear is, God. it's during it's during lunchtime on a clear day uh, when Quint's having uh, lunch with his father. That chapter it opens up in the evening, and George is like, "Hey, I want to have my heart to heart with you." <laughs> and after that heart to heart, a lot of people just go straight to the hotel and the chapter's over. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people never get this little information, which, oh, God, it's like, why? You got to get your eight hours in. <laughs> yeah. Got to hurry home and shave. Yeah. There's lots of cool little um, background info around the characters. Like, I, I think I mentioned about Thomas, uh, what, what made me realize that there was different conversations with the weathers with the mm. weather. Um, I learned so much background about Thomas and Carol through the optional conversations. Really? Like, for example, Thomas, he got the bar from his mother. It was his mother's bar. Hmm. And then um, he didn't like running it because he doesn't drink. So his sister took over. She dropped out of high school 
to run the bar. She's still <laughs> underage, mind you. She's only 20 in the age. What? Whoa. So a teenager is what? Uh, the, owns the bar. <laughs> wow. And then uh, uh, Thomas didn't know really what to do with his life. And George said, hey, why don't you be uh, the sheriff assistant? And he's only been working at the department for about four to five years. Wow. And he's really thankful to George. And he said he'd only take the job as long as he could still help out his sister at the bar. Wow. Crazy. He's well, also one that he's also the one that named the bar Galaxy of Terror Galaxy after his favorite after his favorite movie. Oh yeah. Well, crazy. Mm-hmm. Someone's gotta sling shots while uh Carol is doing her cabaret routine. Oh, and speaking of Carol, she her mother used to force her to sing at the bar when she was a child. So uh she Apparently wasn't a fond of singing. I think she's lying though to to York, but she was forced to sing as a child in the bar. So she's been singing in that bar for her almost her entire life. Hmm, crazy. Her mother was a uh, a singer in Chicago, like an opera singer or something like that. Wow. Huh. This is the sort of background information you get if you if you go in and make sure to talk to everybody yeah well it's writing <laughs> it really has like an rpg's worth of dialogue but you just have to go find it it's mm-hmm. crazy like um another thing i don't think a lot of people would do in the game is you know how you have the option to observe mm-hmm. items and people so with my let's play i ended up observing everything i could and <laughs> because of this i was able to kind of figure out when the game took place you might you might think it's Thanksgiving because of that Thanksgiving sale in the window, <laughs> but um, the game actually, what York's comments are when you observe some trees in the um, in the graveyard, he's mm. like it's almost summer. What? So it's it's spring, and when you have a conversation with Sally um, while she's at the bar, she talks about a graduation trip. That she was planning with Anna. She was graduating. She just graduated. Mm. So that's putting the game more in May, June territory. And wow. then if you look in the department and in in Emily's home, there's a calendar on the wall that says June. Weird. I did <laughs> so not I think, get that feeling from the game. So I so I think that the 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 case happens in May, June, two thousand six. Wow, crazy. I always got a more yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the color grading makes it feel like fall. I guess I used to think it was it was November because of that charcoal brown uh, Thanksgiving sale. But yeah. all the, there's all these other hints within the game that points actually to a earlier in the year. Well, time is a flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's so crazy. And I mean, who changes their calendar on time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Either that or, or, or both the department and Emily are really slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. there's also a lot of other bigger details that are easy to miss. And I think like a big yeah. a big one, and I think the reason why like I kind of became fixated on all this info about like Becky and the sex cult is like Yes. That's one where there's really big obvious stuff. So there's there's deeper stuff like Earlier, you were talking about how you think that she was selling drugs behind George's back, which is like an mm-hmm. awesome theory. Um, but there's also stuff that's like in the game that's easy to miss, but that also ties a lot of stuff together. So, like, yes, you were saying yes. she witnessed Anna's murder for one. Mm-hmm. She was there, which is nuts. You actually, you, you actually, um, in the profiling sequence, you hear her voice. Hmm. So 
Anna's on the ground. You see her uh, tied up. And she's like, come here. And George goes over to her and then pulls out a knife and starts start struggling. And then you hear this person running away. And then they fall and they go, ah, crap. Jeez. The fingernail breaks. <laughs> That's Becky. So it's so George invited Becky and Anna to the lumber mill. And Becky saw him uh turn on Anna. That's why she's wow. so freaked out of George. But she, even in her letter to Diane, she's like, I want to put him away. I saw him do this and I followed him and I watched him put her up into that tree. And that's where she got the locket and what that, whatnot. So basically she was there. She ran out. She, that's part of why she was kind of upset at herself because she left while Anna was yeah. dying on the floor. Um, so it's not just like a Donna Hayward thing. It's like Ronette Pulaski too. Like yeah, put together. Totally. Well, I never caught that. Yeah. I don't know why George would invite both of them unless maybe he was planning to do both at the same time. Well, and so, okay. So there's this sex cult in the game. <laughs> and Yes, there is. So the question I have is like, what, what's going on here? Like, can, can you just like run this down for me? Well, we got it wrong because... We got it super wrong. That's why I'm asking, James. <laughs> you didn't get it super wrong. You just thought someone was in it who isn't in it. <laughs> well, I think though that the more I tried to figure it out on my own, I was like, dude, I don't know, man. <laughs> okay. That, that part of the game, when you find out that George runs a sex cult. It's kind of like a, a what? what yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Can we rewind that a little bit? Yeah. So this is just my interpretation. So I might be wrong as well. But from what I'm thinking is that little sex dungeon thing was made way before the, the murders. Uh, Thomas and Carol put that beneath the bar because they were in, they were in a relationship with George before this shit happened. Uh, Thomas, when he was screaming at Emily, was saying, everything was so much better before you came. And mm. we know that Emily came to Greenville 10 years ago. Right. So Thomas and George were having fun together at least 10 years ago when Damn. he was six. Well, he's 28. Yeah. So when he was 18, maybe 17. Wow. And Carol, I think, was probably having sex with him while she was underage. That's wow. why I think he's a creep. Well, we know that George was trying to hit on Emily while she was still in high school, too. Yeah. So uh, she, When she moved there and she was uh, 16, 15. Yeah. yeah. So he's a creep, confirmed. So how old is George? George is 42. George is 42. How long mm -hmm. do you think his mom was rotting in the living room? I think it was uh, recent. Recent? Interesting. Well, not not like recent, recent, but like within the last. Okay, this this is how I view it. Um, everyone in town is under the impression, I think, that George's mom is sick. Correct? Yeah, right. He keeps complaining about his mother, how she can't go out. I think she probably died within a month or two before he started the ritual, because mm. the way she died, Kason put a tree in her. So basically, he let his mom get raped by Kason. Right. Right. Yeah. Or it was a situation like mirroring York's childhood. Right? And I no no, he no? he no no, uh, his mother was alive for through while he was an adult, I think. Oh. Because people know of his mother 
and the situation. Okay. I mean, it'd be kind of hard to be like, yeah, my mother's sick when she died when he was a teenager or something. Right. So I believe she was alive. Um, he got buddy-buddy with Kaysen, and I'm sure Kaysen, she probably mentioned the ritual Thomas found, and Kaysen's like, oh, yeah, hey, you should do it. Hmm. You know, he wants George to go on a killing spree. Well, um, okay. What came first, Kaysen or the sex cult? Is Kaysen the big daddy at the sex cult? No, 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 no. So yeah, I, so I thought the sex cult started as like a relationship between Thomas and Carol and George. And then, yeah. Yeah, they they were they were an item. Mm-hmm. This is my interpretation. They, they were an item. They were having a thing. Thomas found the ritual while filing in the sheriff department, brought it to George's attention. He's mm-hmm. like, what? Whatever. George found out about the seeds, uh, went probably went to Kaysen because he's the red tree salesman. And he's like, yeah, you know, that ritual is true. Maybe you should do it. I think after that point, he sort of, Kaysen convinced George to actually go through with it. He's like, I need victims. And I think he told Carol to go get some. So she told her friends about this exclusive club underneath her bar. And they're invited and, hey, do you want to try this new drug I found? It's really great. And then they got sucked in. And then like, a couple weeks mm. later or whatever, George kills, starts killing. So Carol was probably okay with the Anna death, but she probably was not okay with the Becky. was Because be- Becky was not in the sex hole, right? No, Becky was. Becky and Anna were. Uh, Diane okay. wasn't. Diane was not in the That's sex cult. Right. Okay. Um. I, I I get the feeling that George kind of had Thomas and Carol kind of in a thrall, like, you know, a cult leader. They mm-hmm. would do anything for him, even sacrificing their friends. But I think on some level, they didn't really believe he was going to do it. And then after Anna died, and then Becky, I think uh, Carol started to get a little worried. Was she next? And that's why she was getting paranoid. Mm. Um, so sequence of events. Uh, George, uh, Thomas tells George about the raincoat killer ritual. George finds the seeds. George gets buddy buddy with Kaysen, who kind of convinces him to do the ritual. Well, he can't do this shit with his mom around. And to get revenge, I think he convinced Kaysen to plant the tree in, in the mom. I mean, she was a, horrible to him. Right, <clears throat> and he, he did go off on a little tangent about the powerful overcoming the weak and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he probably saw this as his, you know, this is how it's supposed to be. I'm finally big and strong enough where I can kill you, and I'm right to do that. So his mom gets a tree planted in her. He tells everyone around town that his mom is sick, like super sick, and she can't leave the house. So mm-hmm. everyone's like, "Oh, that's sad." Okay. And then a couple weeks later, he starts the ritual without his mom nosing around type of thing. Because wow. his house, his house is a, a shack. Like, there's nothing in there. <laughs> yeah. And right. so I get the feeling that maybe his mom has been dead at least a year. Like, maybe he waited a year before starting this. And then the house just sort of went to crap for some yeah, reason. Yeah, because she's pretty mummified, too. Well, actually, you get like that pretty fast when you're planted with a red tree oh i guess because yeah yeah in the cutscene where you see it happen to york's zach's mom it happens like oh. instantaneously and she looks the same as the corpse that you find in george's yeah. house mm-hmm. interesting 
I just find it kind of uh, weird that he kept it around. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely like a psycho mm-hmm. reference or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, George is just really gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think it's it's a weird thing in the game that on some characters they go like Kason they go all in to be like oh he's gross mm-hmm. but with George it's not that they hold back but that they hide some of these details that make you realize it's like George basically ran like a child sex ring yeah which is fucking intense I, I'm just like Emily he tried to date you while you were underage he was in his <laughs> 30s that wasn't a big red flag to, for you yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's gross, dude. Here's another thing I keep thinking about, and maybe it's just topical for me because I just was like out in the country for a day, and it was like really bad, and everyone was scary. Um, (laughs) But like, (laughs) I I wonder if some of the shit in this game isn't like the writers just being like, dude, rural America (laughs) is like so fucked. Well. And maybe, uh, but I think it's mainly based on Twin Peaks and that whole dynamic with, um, you know, Laura being kind of a prostitute. Yeah. And yeah. Ben Horn owning mm-hmm. the whole house and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some interesting details that have occurred to me just as we're talking about it, where like, I think some of my uh, initial take on this game, you know, that it's like darker than Twin Peaks or it's more fucked up in some ways than Twin Peaks. Some of that is just the way that they kind of remix the characters. So, for example, like taking Becky and looking at her as like a combination of um, Donna Hayward and Ronette Pulaski. Mm-hmm. Like, that's interesting. That's not too far fetched because that's kind of what um, the movie Fire Walk with Me is sure. hinting at. Like, that she could have gone in that direction, but then Laura Palmer is like, no, don't right. do that. But then. George being a combination of like <laughs> the creepy French Canadians and <laughs> Sheriff Truman and Wyndham Earl and like <laughs> yeah and Wyndham Earl and like Leo Johnson it's like whoa dude that's too many guys in the blender <laughs> yeah no like he's so scary like he's so spooky, in, in retrospect know? there are a lot of like male pieces of shit in Twin Peaks and I think like George inhabits several of those yeah totally uh George is the one character where, like, there's no endearing qualities to him. You know, like, even though Thomas turns into a villain, uh, I mean, like, his character is endearing. Thomas, I I always felt really bad for him because, you know, even though he tried to attack Emily, and like you, Mm -hmm. I don't understand why she kept saying I I killed him when... Yeah. (laughs) It was technically, it was Willie jumping him and the knife going to his chest and falling onto the hook. Emily, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I always saw him as a, a victim, uh, George. Yeah. Like, he, he couldn't yeah, break totally. free, even when York was trying to give him an out. Mm-hmm. Like, George knew when he was captured that Thomas had helped George in some way, and he was like, you, just, you guys just need to get out of here. I'm not even after you. I'm just going to go after George. And right. he didn't, he was like, yeah. no, it's too late. You know, this is my destiny, and Right, yeah. and I think that made Thomas a better villain than George, for sure. Because yeah, you have mixed feelings after the Thomas fight, and the George fight is just one. It's just really fucking silly, and two, uh, you just don't feel anything for him. So it's like, oh, it's over, and now time for the real last boss, Kason. You know, it was it's pretty interesting. Um, 
another podcast I was listening to, they just did, they did Deadly Permission a couple weeks back and they actually thought that the game should have ended after George's battle. Like they mm. thought the whole, all the case and thing was unnecessary. And they, I, I don't think they picked up on the fact of what Kaysen actually was and why he had why he had to do battle with him. I think they forgot about all the red seeds happening <laughs> yeah. throughout the rest of the country. Um, yeah. Well, and another thing too is that like you can see in that design document, that visual companion, that Swery was concerned with making the villains relatable. And you can see that he did that with every character. So like George, it's they try to make him empathetic, even though he's just like always kind of a bastard. But like they try and make but him. But he, he had that heart to heart, right? You know? He he was uh, he he was trying to play play York. But I think that they do something like that with every character. So with Kaysen, they just make him like he's this jolly, cartoony guy until he's not. And then like with George, they have this empathetic side. But with Thomas, they actually really nail it because they actually make him like a tragic figure. So whether or not you think he's a villain or a victim, you have to acknowledge he's a tragic figure. And I I think that's kind of an interesting point. It's like that was clearly something that Swery was trying to do. And he does achieve. It's just from character to character, your mileage may vary. It depends on yeah, how, how hard it hits you. <clears throat> Thomas, especially, yeah, he's one of my favorites in the game just because of... Uh, I, I really felt for him. Even even throughout the game, talking with him, hearing what George would say about him, how he's useless and he can't do this shit. He would say this shit in t- front of Thomas, like mm-hmm. constantly put him down. Um after i think this is the chapter before he or maybe it's before diane dies but at one point um you try to get lunch with thomas he's like yeah that's all i'm good for i'm i can't do anything you guys don't need me i don't know why i'm here the sort of really being down on himself and Mm. you could see he's in this abusive relationship i I mean what gets me uh, kind of mad is the whole thing with the files george was setting him up to take the fall. Mm. He wanted Thomas to get the blame. Um, you saw in that that profiling sequence, the raincoat killer coming to Thomas's apartment. He handed off the files and said, "Hey, you know, probably get rid of these." Mm-hmm. And so Thomas did, and then he told Thomas to hide. Yeah. And I think at that point, Thomas realized that the man he loved is setting him up to take the fall. After he put all this, you know tried to help him out for all this long he was going to take the fall right and he he was kind of unstable at that point and mm-hmm. snapped yeah. um george is a piece of shit <laughs> yeah well you know one thing about thomas that i kept thinking while playing him more recently is like i really wonder how different thomas's character would be and his portrayal would be if this game was made now just because mm. of uh, you like i think it'd be different it would be very different i agree like, I know that Swery made a game more recently called The Missing that I haven't played, but oh. I've read some discourse around it that people are saying that it actually handles, like, like LGBT relationships and critical issues around that really well. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think with Thomas, it's not that it's poorly handled, but it's maybe a little bit glossed over that it's like, well, he's at least bi, if not gay. He's, like, maybe a trans person? Like I, I got the feeling that he was right um, and yeah. also yeah. there's this interview uh that Swery did during the tokyo game show 2011 
um, where someone asked him about real-life inspirations for the characters, and Swery mentioned that one of his friends uh, he based kind of Thomas on was someone who transitioned. Mm. So Interesting. Yeah. I got the feeling while playing that Thomas really wanted to be like his sister. And, mm-hmm. you know, small town, I don't think there's a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, and I think that's part of what George took advantage of. He could have power sure. over this kid who was unsure about his sexuality and whatnot. And he, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's to the game's credit that like, Early on, I mean, if you're if you're like thinking about the stuff and you're tuned in, I think early on in the game you might be like, "Oh no, I hope they don't just like make a joke out of Thomas because he's gay or because he's feminine or whatever." Mm. And like, but mm. you notice, you notice York, Emily, all the good guys—they never make a joke or put him down. It's right. always George. George is always the one being a complete asshole, yelling like, going, "You see him in that dress?" Blah blah blah. Yeah, he's always the one shown putting. Thomas down. No one else seems to have a problem with it. York's just like whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's just another occurrence of the the de- the constant like daddy and mommy issues in this game. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Now yeah. I did not get your guys's whole thing about Emily looking like his mom. You don't even see the mom's face in the game. I would like to do a side by side comparison because I feel like that's the same face facial model and and the voice and, sounds it, it, so similar. Well, no, the same voice actress. Um, but same like voice, for sure. Okay. You see her. Well, so you see the first time when he's in the art gallery, uh, and you see he has like a vision of you think you think it's Emily dressed up as his mom, but then in a later cutscene, I feel like you do see his mom's face, and it's like she looks exactly mm-hmm. like Emily. Nope. <laughs> Whenever you see uh, you see Emily. Uh, when he's running through um, Harry's mansion, Harry's his mansion. dad yeah. puts the gun to her head and he's mm. like, no, you know, don't shoot my girlfriend type thing. And then she pops up later um, in his dream when he's a little kid chasing his dad. Um, but in the following scene, he's like, so I do care about her. You know, it's just his subconscious telling oh. him that he really feels for Emily. That's mm. how I interpret okay. it. He did say that uh, during one of his driving conversations that uh, Emily makes him feel nostalgic, like uh, wanting to keep someone safe or being safe. And it was a similar feeling he had with his mother. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did reuse Emily's uh, model for his mom. Yeah. I kind of think that the dad is actually uh, David Young Henning from the original Rainy Woods model. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so you think that it's like reused character assets and then... When their faces are partially shielded in darkness. And then when you're seeing mm-hmm. Emily full on, it's him having a vision of Emily in his mom's place. Yeah, like oh. it, it, that that reoccurring theme of having to, you know, kill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he obviously does not want to have to end up having to kill Emily. And that's sort of, I guess, maybe one of the premonitions that he's going to have to do what his father yeah. couldn't do. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I interpreted those little weird scenes. Okay. I, I I didn't get the whole mom mom issue. I mean, George has mommy issues for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Emily had daddy issues. Yeah, uh huh. She likes her mom um, though. <laughs> oh yeah, her mom. Her mom was great. And yeah, New York loved his mom. Yeah. Well, okay, that's interesting. I'm gonna have to chew on that, but I guess that does <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. 
but it's still a weird move. I still say my original criticism, which was just <laughs> weird plot point, man, still stands. <laughs> yes. But yeah. oh, that's that's really interesting, though. That I actually am going to go back and watch those scenes now. Um, mm. Huh? Because she's wearing a she's wearing the red uh, red version of the dress that she wore on their date. Okay, this is actually a good segue into another topic that I do want to cover. And it also, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but some larger like lore and metaphysics questions, especially around Kaysen and the Red Seed murders and all that kind of stuff. Um, So I guess like my take from the episode that I now sort of feel even stronger about was that a lot of the bigger lore stuff in this game unfortunately lacks context and it's not for a lack of trying i mean you sent us some really cool stuff uh well there's obviously stuff in the visual companion but there's also like a diagram that sweary drew um a couple of different diagrams that show that he was definitely thinking about how the metaphysics in this game were going to work and that there was going to be like a larger I don't know if spiritual is the right word, but metaphysical or spiritual component to things like in Twin Peaks. And what I said in our episode was that in Twin Peaks, the stuff doesn't really make sense and it doesn't have to make sense, but it has to have context. I think in this game, unfortunately, a lot of the context didn't really make it into the game, but Swery definitely wrote it, which I think is really cool. And it definitely helps me to appreciate a lot of that stuff more. Um so thanks, Whitney, for sending that to us. That was really cool. <laughs> no problem. Um, Didn't you get that translated from Japanese for your site? Uh, yeah, his notes and stuff from the Visual Companion. They yeah. they were left in Japanese, and I I'm like I want to know what they say. So I I paid some people on Fiverr to translate. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's a public service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your service. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, like the first thing that I want to talk about, because we definitely agreed on this, or I got the feeling that we agreed on this, is that the frame story unfortunately muddies the waters a lot. The frame story sucks. Yes. I don't know why it's there. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. It's just so Uh, dumb. I like it. I I I don't know why. I think the reason why I was so disappointed with it was Swery uh, told me... I went to a press um, thing for a director's cut. Mm. He's like, yeah, I put the, the, the little extra cutscenes in to help explain the story because people were really confused about the opening sequence with the, the red room and the angels. And it's going to provide this context for the story. And I'm like, all right, he's going to explain the red room and the white room and all this yeah. good stuff. And then we got... Grandma likes movies. Oh, <laughs> God. So she I really was, likes that TV. <laughs> I was very disappointed. The only thing I liked that they added was the extra epilogue. Well, the, the thing that really bothered me about it was like the whole game, there's this tension between what's real and what's not real. And without the frame story, it seems like there's a point in like the third act where it all comes together and it's like, holy shit, all the supernatural stuff is real. Everything is actually happening, et cetera, like et cetera. Emily sees it. Emily sees it. With the frame story, it adds an extra layer where you can decide whether or not it's real. And like I said in our episode, it's a really disappointing interpretation because I feel like you could interpret it as he added in all this like hoo-ha so that the child that he's telling this very inappropriate story to <laughs> can like pretend that it's a fairy tale. 
But it's like, dude, yeah. fuck that. That's not cool at all to me. Like, I had way more fun with the story. I was way more invested in it when I just took it on face as this is real. This is happening, you know? Yeah, yeah that, that's my view is it, it is real. It's, it's not just made up shit that um, Zach is adding in for his granddaughter. Totally. And it's like a yeah. bad it was all a dream ending where it makes you not want to talk about it as opposed to making you want to talk about it, you know? Totally. Well, even even in the extra epilogue they put, York comes back. And when you when the game returns to the title menu, there's a little little voice clip that only repeats one it's only the one time. Every <laughs> time you replay it afterwards, it doesn't play again. But um uh, Louise goes back up with the soup for her grandfather and she's like, Mom, grandpa's gone. He disappeared. Huh. Where Sequel. did he go? So, so that's another thing that's like, yeah, it happened. Check this out. It's a double twist. Louise is actually <laughs> dreaming the whole thing. Her mom is playing along. I just figured it out. I, I cracked the case, guys. <laughs> Thank you very much. God bless. Uh, no, I want to see that sequel. I want to see him in Louisiana, Old York, young Zach in Louisiana working together. Yeah, but okay, um, <laughs> I, I mentioned this about my thoughts about what York actually is. Like, I don't think mm. he's just a, a separate personality. With that ending in mind, it might just be both of them inhabiting someone else's body, like what York did to Zach. Hmm. Interesting. Well, and this is a, a big point that we kind of started talking about, and I want to talk to you about now for sure, is like, what are all these characters? Because like, another point of context that we don't really get in this game, although it's definitely written, or at some point was written, is who's a person and who, like, who's a human person, and who's a sort of otherworldly supernatural figure? Yeah. Mm. Because mm-hmm. you, so you in email were like, oh yeah, Kaysen's like not a human. And I was like, oh yeah, he's. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> like it, but it, yeah. it, it like blew my mind, but it also ties everything together. So maybe tell me a little bit about that. Okay. So Kaysen is not human. He is, we don't know exactly what he is. He could be an alien or a demon. We don't have that concept. But he lets us slip during his little dialogue with um, York and Zach in the theater um you know when you can make a choice about shooting yourself shooting him shooting emily well if you make the other two choices there's new dialogue from Kaysen. and at one point he's like um who am i i'm i'm the agent of the red tree and he's like laughing and he keeps repeating that and then when you move on with the cutscene, he has this other peculiar line where he's all you humans are so are so funny or whatever about the gas when he released the gas on all the humans. Mm. He said humans. I, I don't yeah. know about you guys, but I don't typically go, my fellow humans are really... <laughs> so I'm like, okay, this guy is not human. And then at the end, when you shoot the little uh, chibi doll, yeah. and this thing pops out of his mouth, a big eye type thing. Mm. I think that was probably his true form or whatnot and explodes. So he's not human. So the he's fact like that, a Lovecraftian cosmic beast or something. Yeah, but he's working for something called the Red Tree. And my interpretation is 
He's something that was put on Earth. Uh, he's evil. He's evil in the game. He's put on Earth to spread the red trees stuff, the seeds, mm-hmm. the plants, get humans to um, be miserable, kill each other. Um, Kaysen, you know, the, the ritual that George was trying to do, the raincoat killer ritual, it's bullshit. It, it, he wouldn't have been immortal. It would have done nothing. It would have just ended with everybody sad that all these people are dead. Kaysen did it because it was a laugh. He's like, yeah, this is hilarious. Just like hmm. the reason he did the, the gas. He was just trying something new. And it's like, hey, this is even better. <laughs> Making them kill each other. How does George go Super Saiyan then? <laughs> um, okay. <sighs> See, I don't know how to explain that, except that it's a Japanese video game and we need three forms yeah. for our boss battles. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Nailed it. But but you notice, uh, oh, when everything's, he gets struck by lightning and uh-huh. shit, he's normal sized and is just burnt. And he, fall, and he falls over. <laughs> so it might be a weird thing, the effects the gas was having on York and George, making him seem more intimidating. Um, because he doesn't have that bot. His, he doesn't look like an ogre anymore when he's dead. <laughs> right. Yeah. So well, it's sort of like, it's. It, it could be sort of like when York goes into the... I don't know the the spirit world or whatever mm-hmm. he's fighting fighting the dead people. Yeah, he was he was in that spiritual realm on top of the uh, police station. This is still one thing that I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around is like, what are all the ghosts or spirits you're killing the whole time? It's not really explained in the game. All I can go is, is say about my my own theory. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're for sure supposed to represent the victims of the uh, 1956 uh, massacre. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry mentioned that there were still remnants of the red seed gas that would come up from the ground whenever it rained. Yeah. I got this weird feeling because Emily saw these creatures right that they were they were weren't in York's mind alone so when the game opens up uh, you crash your car you walk out into the woods and York says this really odd line he he goes uh that was intense i've never been attacked that directly before and you're like hmm. wait you're do you usually see weird environments or something while you're investigating? Because the, the vines and shit were coming up. It seems pretty happenstance for him. He never seems to be in any way uh, freaked out. The fact that the world changes around him. So my own theory is this is something that happens to him a lot. But instead, he, there wouldn't be monsters in it. But for some reason in Greenvale... These th- these creatures are attacking him that there weren't weren't there before, hmm. and I always thought, given that Kaysen is not human, that this might be some sort of weird spiritual self defense system. He wants to keep control over Greenvale and the trees and whatnot. That's this seems to be one of his bases of operations because he keeps doing shit to town. So when York appeared, um, that triggered something like hey, there's someone here who would actually put a stop to what we're doing, so let's try to get rid of him. And York was having these weird spiritual sections. Yeah. So 
why did Emily see it? So people are like, oh, it's all in, in York's head. But I always come back to, well, why is Emily seeing it? Right. You can make an argument that maybe she's hallucinating because of the the Red Sea gas coming up from the ground because it's raining at the time and she's outside a lot. But why would she see the same monsters as York? And one commonality here is Kaysen's just outside. So True. I think Kaysen made them appear to fight Emily, to cause her misery, maybe even kill her on the way up there, because he seems to feed off of that, feed off of humans' fear, anger, all that good stuff. So he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm out here. She's going to go up there, front Thomas. Let's make it a little bit harder for her. Let's make her scared. And there you go. They need all that Garmon Bozia. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. And you, you notice that once Kaysen is killed, the fog and all that stuff disappears mm-hmm. like uh in the epilogue chapter there's no you don't even see any sort of fog uh, at night everything's normal there's no demon dogs there's no nothing because Kason's gone so i felt that he was the factor that these things were coming to attack right right and connected to him and not just in york's head he's just the, <laughs> he's the he's the sole common denominator in all these things yeah, maybe if Emily didn't see it, I'd be more inclined to believe it was all in York's head. Yeah. But I, I kept every time it's like it seemed like these things were put in front of York to delay him from reaching George and the victim before mm-hmm. they could die. Uh, so I thought it was Kaysen's doing. Yeah. So, you know, just like in Silent Hill and just like in Twin Peaks, there's like that thin veil between two realities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe that could have been pushed a little more. Because, yeah, it's like York all the time, except for this one time Emily deals with it. So, yeah. Yeah. And there's there's an interesting diagram, uh, Whitney, that you shared with us that Swery made that kind of mm-hmm. shows that he had in mind this structure of reality where, you know, there's our world and there's all these overlapping layers surrounding the forest and the red uh, red world. Yeah. Right. And it's essentially like this battle for sort of like the nature of the soul of mankind where there's goodwill and there's malice. And so it totally makes sense that these different otherworldly characters are like agents of these different sides and trying to create different scenarios. And that's kind of ties in with my thoughts on what York is. I don't Mm. think he's just, I mean, yes, uh, Zach had a traumatic experience and that, that can lead to. A split personality but i think york's more than that because he came onto the scene as soon as Kaysen cut him in the face and he's like i'm gonna help you out i'm york i'm gonna be here i'm gonna protect you um and he took he took zach's place while zach i guess healed in the back there mm-hmm. so right york has a weird has weird abilities you notice through the game he can see weird premonitions in his coffee. When uh-huh. he prof- when he profiles, he actually gets little visions of the crime occurring. Right. It's that's not something. <laughs> that's not how real profiling works. But he could do it. I mean, he even says it in a cutscene. He says, "Zach and I saw him kill Anna in the lumber mill." Like he mm. flat out said it. So he's that's what he's saying. It's not just for our benefit of him putting things together in his head about what happened. He says, I saw Anna being killed in that in that realm. So that leads me to believe that York might be an agent 
of the good side. So Kaysen is working for the red tree, the evil. Mm-hmm. And York is for the good side trying to stop him. And Zack is like the conduit in which York can defeat the evil. Well, and there's another interesting wrinkle in here too, which I like that theory a lot and it helps the game make a lot of sense. But then you're also like, York is the agent of good. Huh. Like, you know, like it's just kind of a weird idea. But um, there's almost like in this diagram that Swery drew, there's like three rooms. There's the red room and the white room and then the forest room. And it's almost like that forest room is like all the way off to the good side. And the white room is actually in the middle. So it's almost more like York is sort of like this force of balance. So he can be weird and chaotic and sometimes negative. But ultimately, he's just trying to balance everything as opposed to He's balanced the force. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As opposed to Kaysen, who is purely evil. Evil. Right? Right. And because, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> York wasn't really good at his job. Like all this bad shit did happen, you know, while he was there. Now so. I, I did, I did, I did think you guys were a little unfair about York <laughs> <laughs> in your in your episode. I didn't think he was incompetent. Oh wait, he was at the time, but I think there was probably a reason. Sure. Uh, the reason why he wasn't picking up on Kaysen right away, because it, there was a mental block within Zach. Like Zach didn't want to see Kaysen, what Kaysen did. Hmm. So I think that was hindering York from like putting it together because he Zach inside wouldn't allow him to take a closer look kind of of Kaysen. But you noticed he always didn't trust him right from the get-go. Yeah, that's something I we brought up a few times. He knew something was off about him, but for some reason he just couldn't put the pieces together and I think it has to do with that mental block. Like Zach took this experience and locked it away and it just took a while for the box to get open and realize what he was dealing with and he just couldn't see it it was like blinders were on yeah it's interesting because in hindsight it's just so obvious oh yeah fk in the coffee he carries around a a plant exactly gee i'm looking for red seeds in the sky (laughs) yeah there's case and chibi dolls like in the first red room Mm -hmm. you walk through i mean yeah and I think uh, this kind of ties in. I don't think Kaysen, I think there's multiple Kaysens. Like there might be one Kaysen down, but he's like a thing that can, the red tree can send down another Kaysen. Mm, and this yeah. kind of ties into my, why was he so close to the Ingrams twins? Mm. Uh, uh, this is my weird little theory about this. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so the Ingram twins, they're weird. Okay. Right. <laughs> they they see they see a corpse in the woods and they don't see the corpse. They see the forest world, the 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 heaven. Yeah. And they see Anna in a red dress smiling at them and mm-hmm. a snake and animals and she's a fairy of the forest. They seem to have this weird supernatural thing going on with them, which I think also York had as well, which is why York attached himself to Zach. It seemed to me Kaysen was getting buddy-buddy with them due to their powers, and maybe he was trying to corrupt them to come to his side and mm. maybe become another Kaysen to help spread the Red Seed. So maybe Kaysen, what we see in the game, maybe he was human at one point, but got turned into this demon right. thing. 
Right. Well, that would keep going with the theme of, you know, like the cycles of child abuse that are in the game. Mm-hmm. And possession, yeah. which is like a yeah. big theme that people's bodies can be taken over by these external forces. I mean, I think this whole theory is really cool because it does fix up a lot of plot points or I guess that seem like plot holes without it. Like mm. you already mentioned, I mean, why wasn't York focusing on Kaysen from the start? It's like either Zach is blocking him or, you know, Whitney, like you brought up. Kaysen can influence people and places and things. He seems to have a really nebulous but like powerful ability to do that. Um, the other thing is that it explains why they both know about these red and white rooms. Because that was something mm-hmm. I brought up in our episode where I was like, why the fuck is Kaysen just suddenly like, the red room? You know, and it's like, wait, what? Yeah. You know, but like, if they're both these supernatural creatures, they both come roughly from the same metaphysical place it makes sense but they're not the only one who knows about those rooms harry does too for some reason yeah Harry. okay harry so harry is also like he's a big i don't know plot point plot hole call it what you will but harry i think harry is the real villain of the game <laughs> really okay tell me oh, about I, that i i know i hate him so much i'm buckling like, my seatbelt yeah yeah come on <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, Kaysen's the actual, you know, bad guy, but Harry made some serious bad choices in his life. He could have prevented all of it. One, not ditching his son with his abusive wife and just running away. And leaving his baby with this woman who he's like, she was crazy and I couldn't kill her. What the the fuck? (laughs) Put her in a mental institution, you weirdo. Um, yeah. you, you're you're filthy rich. You could probably buy a wing for her. Whatever. Yeah. So he he left yours to be raised by this domineering, abusive woman, whipping with trees, mm. have this warped sense of good and bad and women and all this other junk. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. He fucked up, and then he got his replacement kid, Michael, who he makes work for him as his servant, which is weird. Yeah. As well. <laughs> But then here comes an FBI agent who's looking to solve the murders. And instead of being like, hey, dude, this is what's going on in our town. We got some dark shit. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to make him work for it. Good fellow. Please go over there and get me some some of those seeds. And I'm going to give you some fat rhymes through my, uh, my yeah. assistant here. My surrogate son who I've driven to Shakespearean insanity will now <laughs> brief you on the fetch quest I need you to complete. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, while I'm doing this, uh, more people are going to die. You know, if maybe if he told him right from the get go that, hey, you know, I, I ditched my son and uh, my <laughs> wife wasn't really good and he might actually be the one. I don't know. Maybe look into him. Yeah. <laughs> or, hey, the raincoat killer. That's a real thing that happened. You know, you don't believe me, but. Yeah, and there's these things with the red seeds you might not realize where it oh. provides hallucinations and make people go crazy when it's in gas form. He just <laughs> would not... He played games when he shouldn't have, and mm-hmm. he ditched his kid. <laughs> yeah. I can't forget him. He ditched his kid... Yeah. Uh, forget him. Ditching his kid and then getting a replacement kid and making that replacement kid his servant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. what he made York go through also. It's just mm-hmm. egregious. I mean, York had to cyclically read his cup of coffee and go fishing yeah. for files. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. York had to Come play on. a fishing mini game. God damn it. That's high crimes <laughs> right there, dude. Yeah. 
a roulette, roulette uh, fishing game that's not very fun uh, at God. all. They're all bad. Every fishing minigame is bad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So I, I always joke that um, Harry is the real bad guy. <laughs> well, there's another real bad guy that you brought to our attention. Potential real bad guy, which is Willie. Willie yes. the dog. Come on. <laughs> yep. Willie is not the good boy you think he is, unfortunately. So this was revealed by Swery in the both the postmortem interview he did. He said that Willie had this big backstory, uh, and they couldn't fit into the game. So they tried to leave hints that Willie was more than just a dog within the game. <laughs> and one what one such thing is the town of Greenville is shaped like the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a clue. But then in a Destructoid Q&A, uh, fans asked about Willie. They, I think they brought up the map thing. And he's like, Willie is Kaysen's keeper. So <laughs> Willie is watching Kaysen. And I assume it's like he works for the Red Tree. He's watching over Kaysen, making sure Kaysen does his shit. And this really puts a new spin on the ending cutscene where you see Willie with the little chibi casing in his mouth kind yeah. of following Zach and then turning around and going back towards the town. Oof. So because Willie's still around, the red tree threat is still there. He could probably find another casing to follow around. I mean, this is also why he's so smart and why I think Kaysen was so uh he praised him a lot, like how smart he was. He could mm-hmm. be his own businessman and all this other shit. He also uh, has a taste for human bones. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> and and he has a, a gun in his doghouse for some reason. Yeah. Oh god. Why why does he why does he have Magnum in there? Yeah. <laughs> what a weird side quest for a gun. Yeah. <laughs> Give the dog all the bones. <laughs> Willie is 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 maybe evil. Maybe worse than Kaysen, but we don't know. They didn't actually go into that. But there is a hint actually within the game with one of the optional conversations. Mm. During the epilogue chapter, uh, Brian says, um, Willie's always watching, watching Kaysen, watching us. <laughs> it was just very ominous. So Weird. strange. Well, yeah. and it and it puts a whole different spin on his scenes in the game are him like mm-hmm. seemingly being helpful. And then you're just like, ooh, that's really sinister and weird. I mean, he technically killed Thomas. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, and I, here's another question. Did you immediately, like, think of this when they announced The Good Life? Because it has this weird theme of, like, people turning into dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, where's he going with that? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if, if, if maybe Willie was another form of demon who just takes the form of a dog. Yeah. For some weird reason. I don't know. Maybe it's easier for him to travel with uh, Kaysen. But, I mean, isn't there a thing with uh, in Twin Peaks with uh, Bob and Mike? They're like two guys, uh, two demon-type things that work together. But yeah. then Mike lost his arm or something and became good. Maybe Willie and Kaysen are the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like codependent entities. Yeah. That could be. And the thing is... Uh, there, there's an optional, uh, there's another conversation you can have with the Ingrams and the mention where 
Willie doesn't seem to be all that upset that Kason's gone. He's such a good boy. He follows our tricks. Like, so he's latching on to the twins. Yeah. Run. He's like, oh, <laughs> get rid of that dog. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. could also just be Sweary fucking with us because he doesn't have a good track record. <laughs> the Twin uh, yeah. Peaks denial thing bothers me deeply. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't get that. It is so he's trolling, freaking strange. Yeah, yeah. but I, that would be a genius troll if he just like hid hints that Willie is evil and it's actually just all a troll. I would have to give him points if that's what it was. But it's also like a crazy <laughs> plot point that I sort of love, and now I'm really committed to. Uh, yeah, Willie is Satan. <laughs> Hill, yeah, Willie. kind of, uh, kind of like the dog in Son Hill. Too. Yeah, exactly. UFO dog endings, like, goddamn, dude. There's a whole, there's a whole conspiracy here that I'm unraveling right now. So, yeah, I was when I found out, I was so bummed. I was like, no, he's such a good boy. He found York. Exactly. That's how you feel. It's like, well, Kason obviously like the most evil, but hey, at least his dog is good. And it's like, oh man, um, nope, no, <laughs> he's not good. Did you guys uh, notice some of the other little clues about? Um, with like the red trees where they were in the town, there was in the cemetery, but they were also one in George's lawn, one by the sheriff department as mm. well. Huh? Like places that George lived and worked, he had a red tree. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, I thought yeah. they were only in cemetery. And I recently found out uh, replaying the um, the the sequence in 1956. Mm-hmm. You can get. Uh, there's a lot of those red vine fences on the roads and stuff, so you can't go everywhere. But I, I walked as far as I could towards the sheriff department, and I was looking towards it, and I noticed that there wasn't a red tree. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. So I just rushed through that part because I hated it so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, speaking about that part, uh, my interpretation was that maybe the raincoat killer wasn't really a bad guy. He was the only one who still... He was a strong enough person that he still had some of his senses, and he was trying to get to the source that was causing all the people to go crazy, which is why he made his way up to the clock tower. He obviously failed because he he died, but I thought it was interesting that the raincoat killer... You don't have to kill people while you go up to the clock tower. You can you can ignore mm-hmm. them and just go up. So maybe he was like an unsung hero, <laughs> especially with that amazing Grace song playing in the background. It's like, oh, I don't yeah. feel like a I'm a bad guy right now. Yeah, that's a that was yeah. a choice. It's sort of interesting how it's like uh, Harry's Harry's father was a raincoat killer. Harry sucks as a dad, and then his son becomes the new raincoat killer and kills people. It's like an unending cycle. Yeah, yeah. And that was, there's another diagram that's in that uh, visual companion that lays out his whole sort of theory about how those sort of unending cycles happen, how there's like hereditary passed down and also kind of setting up uh, George and Zach or York as like these opposing forces who are going to have to, uh, going to have who to went fight. through a similar, who went through similar tragedies right and who are gonna have to like fight each other in the end i thought that that was actually pretty interesting i think it added a nice layer to them having like this big climactic confrontation that i i didn't you know totally get uh from just playing the game itself and it makes that boss fight maybe like a little less goofy if it's like oh there's like this plot justification for them having to have this big 
climactic boss fight where he turns into a super saiyan three stages three stages well and i wish i wish york would have gone super saiyan that may have that may have remedied something Fuck, yeah well you guys you guys noticed that thomas didn't yeah yeah totally i always my other theory about thomas was the only reason i mean yeah he was upset uh, about emily but this has been a thing for 10 years um, I think the reason why he snapped was the whole George setting him up yeah. and him realizing that the man he loved was doing this and all he cares about is Emily. And then in that tower, it's full of the uh, purple gas, yeah. the red mm-hmm. seed gas. And I think he was in there and just made him go mad. And that's why he started to go crazy on Emily. It was a combination of his mental state and then it was heightened by the red seed gas that was coming out of the ground and into the tower at the time yeah and as an aesthetic choice i guess like it makes sense to have george and Kaysen become like monstrous and grotesque and thomas not because like we were talking about earlier thomas is almost like the sort of fourth victim mm-hmm. you know yeah well, that's totally. why he, that's why he's in uh the forest with the, uh the girls yeah, yeah. It's, totally. that's another that's another hint that hey you know he's victim too which which I really liked. I'm like, oh, he made it to the forts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It actually is like a good piece of of plotting and writing. Um, speaking of victims, one person we didn't talk about is Diane, mm-hmm. and I think that mm-hmm. was something interesting you point out too. That d- similar, it seems like a big theme in this game, not just overall, but for each individual character, is like having a secret or hidden inner life. And like mm-hmm. Becky and Anna and all these other characters. Diane is sort of putting on a front um, and that's like it seems like you get some of that from diving into the game as well oh yeah she really leans into that whole I'm a man eater she pretends that her and her sister weren't close at all mm-hmm. like she says that they didn't get along her sister would just come when she needed things from her didn't even seem that upset when Becky died but after her death Quint lets you know that the sisters were very close which kind of answered my lingering question of why did Becky go to Diane and not tell like Quint or someone else about what George did? Why why was she mm. trying to give the pendant to Diane to help put George away? She was afraid. Okay, so Becky was afraid to leave her house. Right. George George was going to kill her, obviously. Um. So she's holed up in there. She decides that she's gonna take George down through her sister instead of, I don't know, the visiting FBI agent. <laughs> but whatever. So she writes the letter. She's under the impression that um, George wouldn't dare to do anything to Diane. Like, he uh, he might be able to do things to her, maybe to Quint, maybe because of the drug thing. Mm. To anybody else, he has no power over Diane. She's, like, above him not under his thumb, which is why I don't think she was part of the cult. Also, Hmm. because while she was dying, he was stuffing the red seeds in her mouth, and she's like, I'm not into that stuff. Ah. And she's one of the few where George came to her to get his booty call. He would go to the Muses Gallery. She never never went with him downstairs to the sex room. He Hmm. would go to her, to her bedroom. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so Becky was under this impression that her sister could stand up to George and wasn't under his thumb. So I'm like, oh, yeah. she's not part of the cult then. And she's also never, she's not in any of the pictures of the girls right. you see downstairs either. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and that gives yeah. you a totally different picture of her as a character, you know, from 
you know, that's totally contrary to how she acts with York in, like, her big scenes, you know? I mean, you even got a different side to her with her side mission as well. You find this painting, and York brings it to her and asks her about it. And, oh, yeah. And she has a, a memory. She said, oh, my father painted this for me, which is why I'm like, oh, is her father dead? This is how she sounds right now. Right. Um, and she's in. It was very important to her. She kind of showed this different side, this nostalgic side. And later on, you can talk to her at the Galaxy of Terror while she's in front of Nick, and she'll let you know, like, her dream when she was a kid was to live in the forest. But her her fondness for high heels and tight dresses wouldn't allow her to live <laughs> that dream, so she made it come true by opening the gallery full of tree paintings. Wow. So it's like she wow. is living in the forest, but through paintings. Yeah. So she has, like, a softer side to her that you hmm. find out in these side missions and op- optional conversations. Right. Well, and here's the, okay. So the reason that I initially thought she was in the sex cult was because after she dies, there's like that scene where the, the babies in the sex dungeon, the leather babies in the sex dungeon <laughs> are like crying. And it like zooms in on this leather leotard that's on a mannequin or a standee. So whose hmm. leotard is that? Um, I always thought it was m- focusing more on George's locket, okay. less about the the outfit adorning the mannequin. Uh, I think it was just supposed to clue you in that they were in a sex dungeon type okay. thing. Um, maybe it was for uh, Emily. He wanted Emily to be part of his little harem, and that just yeah. was not happening. Hmm. Um, but like I said, like I said, he. He would go to Diane and she screamed at him that she was not into this stuff, the whole uh, um, bondage, red seeds type stuff. She wasn't into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's kind of hard. There's certain cutscenes in this game where it's like you're trying to deduce plot points based on uh, 2010s uh, PS2 video game style direction. And so there's <laughs> sometimes you're just. Like I noticed it on my last playthrough because it's like I played the game a couple times before, but it was a long time ago. And there'd be stuff that I misremembered, or I would be like, I think my eye was just drawn to the wrong place. You, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're just like, what the fuck is with that outfit? <laughs> yeah, it's like, wait, is that supposed to belong to? This? It's like juxtaposition and then just weird direction and all these things, and then it's like, no, this actually is is this is a you problem. It's like, oh yeah, okay, I get that. <laughs> I, uh, but I want to know, Mike, there's only one chair down there. What did what did they do while they were playing? Did they just do it on the floor? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It looks very uncomfortable. <laughs> they, they even have it like, they had an Iron Maiden in there. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely like a BDSM dungeon desi- designed by someone who did no research. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we're just going to have some, we're going to have a whip, a ball gag. Some sexy thing on a, a doll form and an Iron Maiden, and there we go, and a chair. Yeah, classic, well classic prop, the Iron Maiden. <laughs> Don't kink shame me <laughs> for my Iron Maiden usage. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys uh, notice you can totally see the door into the little secret room in the sheriff's department, like right from the get go? It's just behind a mat- mattress. No, I didn't notice that. It, it's it's the uh, it's where you find the squirrel key you need to give to Thomas is in the lock cell and it's in the cell right next to the door. And I think there's also red raincoats in the police station too. Well, no, there's just they're just regular raincoats, oh, but okay. in the other other world they turned red. 
Yeah, if you take a closer look at the environments, it's kind of interesting what kind of things you can see. Like in the laundry room in Thomas's apartment, there's porn. Huh. Um, and on Thomas's desk, he has some lingerie catalog just sitting down there. Nice. Yeah, dude. Thomas is a freak. No shame. Love it. <laughs> so here's a here's a question. I mean, if you were going to recommend someone that they play this game. How would you recommend that they play it? I mean, there's so many layers, there's so many details. Obviously, if you want to get all of it, you have to do multiple playthroughs and focus on different things. But is there one like optimal playstyle or a way in like a two playthroughs that you feel like someone could get the best experience? Um. Well, I'd, I'd inform them first that the time limits don't matter. So if they mm. want to spend the time to go talk to people, they should just go do it. The only real thing you you'll miss out on is the initial cutscene for when you arrive somewhere with uh, George and Emily. Mm. So I would say do the two playthroughs. Do the one where you go to the places with George and Emily, but still try to talk to people, But um, if, if you can. And then do a second playthrough and just sort of ignore the main mission stuff as long as you can and just mm. go exploring and, and, yeah. and talk to people because you'll learn a whole lot. Like... I didn't realize this, but you can get even more variations on dialogue from George and Emily when you miss the mission and they're in the car with you, or you just keep them in the car a half hour past the time limit, <laughs> they'll say something else too. It's just, wow. it's pretty funny. And there are ways where if you're going somewhere like um, the diner or the police station or the hospital and you have a... a, a a, a mission you have to do there or the art gallery all you need to do is smoke until it closes mm. and then you're allowed to leave and continue on with the chapter so I did that a lot on my let's play where I would go with George and Emily start the mission but then smoke so the time limit would kick me out right. of, the, of the place which both. is kind of yeah which is kind of funny because you get some weird um, <laughs> extra little 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 cutscenes with George being mad at York for not doing his job wow. <laughs> and like wasting time. Um, at one point for the sheriff's office, uh, George tells York it, we're closing and he's like, what? It, it, we're on a murder case. And he's like, nope, you got to follow the rules. We're closing <laughs> pretty much. So it's, it's kind of amusing to play it that way. So I'd wow. say go through it, do the main mission stuff, try to talk to people and do the side missions that you can. Also, there's also replaying chapters, but that can get annoying because you, you can't, can't save. save. Right? You yeah. can't save during a real replay. So go through it once and then do it a second time and try to go through th all the little things you missed. Hmm. And so I'd say if you want the least frustrations, play the 360 version. Okay, mm. you'd say that over the, the PS3. Well, there's so much lag in the PS3 version. Really? Mm. It's like like yeah. a real kind of noticeable thing. Like you're going and then all of a sudden it's 10 frames per second. You're like, oh. oh. So I would recommend the PC if you are able to get it to work. I think that's probably the best version to play because you can make as many saves as you want at different points in the game. You can get it to run at 60 frames per second and it looks better. Maybe if you're still running like Windows 7 or something. That's what I was going to say. If you have a Windows 7 machine, you know. No, I I, I have Windows 10. 
And like I said, it, it gave me some trouble, but once I disabled DP fix, the, the little mod I had on there, it works fine now. Hmm. I mean, it will, it, it will still crash now and then, but it, it wasn't as bad as it was where cutscenes would just freeze and, I never got the game ending, uh, the save file glitch thing that yeah, you did. Yeah, that's a but, bummer. Um, so um, if you want to work at it, I suggest the PC. But <laughs> I'm gonna try it again. Yeah, After, yeah. yeah. I'll try and I'll make sure I wipe DP fix and try it again. Yeah, maybe that new patch, uh, that new Windows 10 update, isn't actually as evil as I thought it was. We'll see. So, b- besides Windows jank and version jank, what what would you do to fix the game? Well, what I was hoping when they were doing the director's cut was that they'd have a map that zoomed out. And I was very <laughs> disappointed in that because that, that really is a hindrance, especially for P- the- Greenvale is so large, it's, you can get lost. Well, it's good for you because everybody goes to your website. <laughs> I know. It just so. gets the map. Um, I would also, if, if they had a chance to go in, maybe spice up the, the landscape a little bit. Uh, seeing all those mm. Mash Brother markets over and over again yeah. kind of got a little boring. <laughs> uh, I really want to know, like, why are there some buildings that are a different color as you could go into it? Like, there's a couple farms and that pink. It looks like you're, you should have been able to enter it, but mm. then you can't. I mean, you can, you can follow Lily. She goes to that bank and goes inside. So I'm wondering if at one point we were supposed to be able to interact with her in there. Sure. So maybe expand on if, if Suri was given the budget and if he was, if he was still with Access Games, he doesn't have the rights to the game anymore. Um, maybe try to put in the stuff that he had to take out, like the movie theater, um, being able to, Gave York a haircut, the shower mini game he mentioned, the, the weird <laughs> stuff he wanted to put in that he couldn't. Filling out all the slice of life stuff. But to fix it, I would say map that zooms out and better tutorials in terms of the gameplay mechanics. Like when you first do that peeping, maybe have a little card that co- pops up and explains it a little bit more. Yeah. Maybe explain um, the side. The side mission is a little bit. I know there was a lot of confusing confusion about when you could do a side mission or not. Like yeah. the little icon didn't always transfer. Uh, I, more tutorials, I guess, within the game. Uh, looking through some of someone did a text dump, um, and looking through it, I noticed there was a lot more tutorial type things, like explanations for things. Really, that I guess didn't make it to the game. Hmm. So I was hoping maybe that would be in there more yeah it's it's funny it's become such a popular thing for gamers to complain about the games are like over tutorialized or blah 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 and it definitely (laughs) can be overwhelming in a game like this which would need a lot of tutorials but then when you play the game without it you're like holy shit it really needs it actually like there's just so much stuff that you don't understand because it doesn't share it with you at all like uh, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. There, like for example, there's a text thing that says, "When you retry a chapter, you cannot save. You have to complete a chapter to save your progress." That's never written anywhere in the game. Holy shit! Wow. <laughs> That's so basic. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like just little things like that, I think would have made the game a lot easier for people. Um, I know for the 360 version. People did not realize you can skip a bunch of the animations, like the picking up item animation or getting mm. to the car animations. 
You can skip those. You don't have to sit there with yeah. them. Just spam the start button. Yeah, or, or speeding up the text. Like, a lot of people didn't realize if you held down, like, the B button, the text would speed up through it. Mm. Because that's something they did fix in the director's cut. Fortunately, yeah. the text comes up on screen pretty fast. But little things like that would go a long way to make the game easier to play. And it's just a shame that they didn't explain the mechanics a little bit more. Yeah, I would love for a company like Night Dive to come in and remaster it like they've done for several other games. Like like Turok and Turok 2 and uh, a lot of first-person games from the late 90s. They've re-released them on PC. Just going in and just fixing things, basically. Yeah, and that was kind of my... In our episode, I said that, where it's like, I, I really think it just needs to be a little more playable and like solid on modern machines and just get a re-release, like get more people playing I this just, game. It's so cool. I just want a, a decent port. I want to be able to pop in the game and not have to worry about weird lag or game crashes. Yeah, mm. yeah, same. Totally with you. I, I'm having my fingers crossed for maybe maybe we can get a Switch release, and maybe that release will actually be a decent port. That would be interesting. That would be yeah. amazing. <laughs> I, I would love that. Yeah, I think that would be a good fit, especially if you could save anywhere. Oh, yeah. Just add uh, a save anywhere so you can put it away, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I did think it was kind of cute that you were saving us because he was checking in with his superiors. Like, hey, this is how the case is going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I can imagine those conversations. Like, oh, I just had this great sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anything else that we missed? <laughs> There's a lot of hidden gems in, within this game, so I encourage everybody to give it another look. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have time, just put on Whitney's Let's Plays in the background. <laughs> I point out a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, can, I can't recommend them enough, especially if you don't want to like deal with a PC jank or whatever, blah, blah. Play the game once and then maybe just go and watch all those. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into those. That's going to be super fun. Well, yeah, thank you again so much, Whitney, for coming on and talking to us. So thank you thank you for having me. I, I, I don't get to talk about Nelly Burnish that often, so this was really <laughs> exciting. Um, yeah, yeah anytime. <laughs> anytime. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll have you on for a Silent Hill episode once we get through all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to you guys' um, how you liked the first one, because that's my favorite. Yeah, I think it's my favorite now too. It was four for a while. Now it's now it's one. Yeah, I yeah. I'm curious to see what you think about that. But I I surprised myself with sort of how I reacted to it. So, but you liked Sun Hill three so much. I know I'm <laughs> I'm wrong, but that's just how I feel. <laughs> I just figured you'd really like it, given that it was the prequel to it. Oh. That's the thing. No, it, that's kind of what ended up happening. Is like <laughs> my take on Silent Hill One, and this is actually kind of I I do want to talk to you about Silent Hill One at some point because like my take on it was always sort of like it felt like it wasn't really a part of the series. It felt like they were still figuring it out, and so a lot of the like lore stuff and some of the biblical references and all stuff like didn't feel as coherent as it did in like two three. Um, mm-hmm. Well, a lot of that a lot of that stuff was filled in. After, they didn't expect a sequel. Right. So the um, Takayoshi Sato, uh, he said in an interview that he went in and he created more of a, the backstory to the town with the whole it being an execu- a place of execution and the weird disappearances. He kind of filled in those 
gaps. Mm, right. And I thought, I guess like <laughs> from my original experiences playing it like years ago, my take on it was like, oh, that just seems really apparent and it makes it feel like not cohesive with like two through four. But mm-hmm. going back and playing it, I didn't feel that way at all, actually. I like super loved it. And I also felt like it felt way more a part of the series. Um, there's still just certain stuff that I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a good explanation for that or if it literally <laughs> is just that they were developing the lore along the way. Well, you know? it what's interesting about the development with, I talked about this in the Let's Play a little bit, was um, they didn't really know what they were doing. Right. Um the guy, uh, Kichiro Toyama, it was his first time directing. He doesn't even like horror movies or anything <laughs> like that. Um, so he ended up basing a lot on what he did like, which was UFO stories, mm. occult occult things, and then like David Lynch films. So he took kind of the horror elements from the things he did enjoy. And they made this story and they purposely made it vague and contradictory. Apparently they, they felt that, that would make it more scary. So a lot of the stuff was not uh, concrete. They, I mean, they were just sort of putting it in there because it was scary. And then when the sequels came out, they gave it meaning, I guess, kind of mm-hmm. after the fact. There's a clear story there. I mean, you just have yeah. to look pretty deep to find it. But there is a lot yeah. of merit to keeping it vague. I mean, mm-hmm. that really makes things scary. They never, I mean, they don't name the god. It's just, I mean... Dahlia says a Samael, but that is a bullshit um, name. Yeah. She just gave it. Right. Uh, so Hill 3 really did just pack in as much as they can after the fact. Yeah. And it was, I guess, like, it just was a lot. I don't know if I'm just a lot smarter now or if I was just really stupid <laughs> back when I originally. I mean, either of them are possible. But, like, it just seemed a lot more apparent to me now that it's like, Oh yeah, that's the case. And the thing, it's kind of like with Deadly Premonition, how realizing that, oh, Kaysen isn't human and York is also maybe not human really ties the plot together. I think with Mm -hmm. Silent Hill, it's kind of like realizing that Dahlia is completely full of shit and is lying to you and trying to play you the whole game. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, exactly. And it's, yeah. it's clear that she's like untrustworthy, like from the rip. But I guess what I didn't get in the past is that she's like lying and making stuff up. Like, oh, yeah, she, she was lying because she couldn't get close to uh, Alessa. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, like, like, maybe I was just really dumb, like back in the day. <laughs> no, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people, just, uh, they still don't seem to pick up on this fact that for some reason they want to make Dahlia a, a good person. Mm. So they, they they think that the whole fire was started on accident mm. and it wasn't on purpose. Oh. They think it, it was a boiler explosion and they tend to point to the manifestations of delusions memo in the school. It talks about poltergeists and girls being able to, you know, make things happen with their mind. And they're like, oh, the ritual is too stressful on Alyssa and she lost control and the boiler blew up and mm. Dolly didn't want that to happen. But I'm, I'm sitting here, and it tells you point blank in one of the Japanese guides that the ritual involved fire. Hmm. Dahlia burned her kid alive. She right. did it on purpose. But for some reason, a lot of people want to make her the good guy. And it's like she's been lying to Harry the entire time. <laughs> well, and I think that, so I actually, I think I mentioned this in the episode, but like, uh, I kind of think the movie is a little bit at fault for that, too. Because like, yeah, I really yeah. like 
the first Silent Hill movie, and I like what it does with quite a few of the characters, but the Dahlia character is such a mishandling of it. That threw me so... I'm like, why did they make her okay? Well, why? yeah. Why did they split her into two characters, basically? They split her into two characters like Alessa was split. Yeah, but that's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think that that did muddy the waters. I mean, now everybody keeps going... Centralia's inspiration to Silent Hill and I scream in my head going oh god no (laughs) no yeah it's always if I see that on a listicle I'm like close yeah I don't know what you're talking about well I I kind of like I get why people started going to the movie as like a lore source because I do say this in in our episode which is that it's explanation of Alessa's backstory is like super good and like mm-hmm. that little sequence in the movie is just very concise and like well shot. Oh, you liked you liked the info dump? Uh, yeah, I mean for what it was. <laughs> like obviously, it's yeah. not the best way to tell a story, but like <laughs> I think if it like okay, my frame reference was like watching it with friends of mine who like didn't have as much experience with Silent Hill and them just mm-hmm. like not really getting it, and then watching the movie and being like, oh, like I get the structure of. The, like three layers of reality and like I get the backstory of a lesson like I get the backstory of the town and so some of that stuff I think was actually kind of useful but then yeah like certain characters like Dal- splitting Dahlia into two opposing characters neither of which is a very good representation of who she actually is was like that's garbage you know I was I was pretty disappointed that they changed the whole cult story like now it's just wacky Christians. Yeah, they're like evil yeah. Mormons now for some reason. Just like, what? <laughs> and then like bringing Pyramid Head in there. I'm like, okay. Yeah. This is a new, this is a different thing. Um, I mean, we didn't even uh, talk about Pyramid Head in our, any of our Silent Hill episodes because I mean, there's just not a ton to talk about, I don't think. But uh, yeah, the matting Pyramid Head was weird. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't have pants on. That was funny. <laughs> you could see you could see his butt. <laughs> Did you know that the original ending for that they storyboarded that Alessa would call forth like pyramid heads to stab everybody in the church instead Sick. of barbed wire? Oh yeah. god, so funny. Sick. <laughs> she, I mean, that ending is already pretty bad. But if it had mm-hmm. been pyramid head just like rocking a whole church full of evil Mormons, that would have been awful. They should let David Lynch do a 18-hour Silent Hill <laughs> special series. Uh, okay, maybe. I don't know. I, I might fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, thanks again, Whitney, so much for coming on the show. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good place to to wrap it up. I guess we don't have to do our normal end stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this will be a, 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 a special episode. This whole episode has been Game Club. This is the real Game Club. So, uh, <laughs> Game Club. yes, thank you for participating. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on the other side.